Digital Drift, episode 31, recorded June 24th, 2014. The Transformers, the movie. Hold on tight. The most incredible rock and roll adventure ever is here. Feed him to the shark guns. Starring Judd Nelson as Hot Rod. Leonard Nimoy as... Galvatron. And Orson Welles. I am Beyond good, beyond evil, beyond your wildest imagination. Transformers, the movie. Coming to a theater near you this August. This summer, the fourth live-action Transformers movie emerged. While I've sworn off reviewing anything Transformers-related until now due to lack of ability to find deeper meaning in the core concept, the sheer optimism displayed by geeks everywhere that this fourth film would be in some way different to the previous three is enough to spark my interest. So we're going to breeze by the animated shows, all of which Sharon and I have seen at least a few episodes of, and none of which truly engaged us with the possible exception of Transformers Prime, which we're sort of getting into right now. And we're going to start the first podcast focusing on the 1986 movie. After this, we may review one or all of the live-action films. With us are longtime bot fans, Neil Taylor of Gameburst. Hello! And Ryan Astley of Exeunt. Hello! Transformers was an endeavour undertaken by Hasbro in the early 1980s, following the success of the G.I. Joe relaunch. As the real American hero, for British folks, Joe was basically Action Man introduced in the middle of the Vietnam War, or to be more precise, Action Man was the European palatoy-produced Joe. By the 1980s, with war now rather... unpopular, he needed a reboot due to certain restrictions on the advertising of products to children being lifted in the wake of the merchandising monolith that was Star Wars, Hasbro found themselves at liberty to try out a multimedia approach to toy sales. A team of all-American good guys was created to be locked in permanent war with a group of colourful, bickering, bumbling terrorists in the form of Cobra! A comic line was produced to tie in with the toy, along with an animated miniseries which proved hugely popular and became an ongoing show. Now, this is not only relevant, but absolutely crucial to the Transformers mythos, because as the cartoon, comic and toy line emerged in 1984, Hasbro basically added a robot home planet and replicated the formula wholesale. Every week in the cartoon, the bickering, bumbling Decepticons confined to planet Earth would attempt some protracted plan to gain the upper hand in the bloodless, casualty-free war, usually a way of acquiring new sources of energon. The human-sympathizing, heroic, lovable Autobots would throw together a retaliation and save the day, occasionally learning some basic moral lesson along the way, all the time calling each other by name as often as possible to ensure brand retention in the minds of the child audience so that they would know which toys to ask for. The Decepticons would retreat to their hidden base. The Autobots would let them go, rinse and repeat, with nothing ever really changing permanently, aside from new recruits for each side as new toys were released. This resulted in a doubling of the rosters for the long-running peak of the brand, Season 2. The toys themselves were all repurposed from obscure Japanese toy lines, Diaclone and Microman, with a few others. 
Basically, any transforming robot available in the land of the rising sun in the late 70s and early 80s was fair game for Hasbro to pick up and absorb into their new line, give a new repaint to, and establish a basic personality in keeping with the established Transformers chronology. Season 3 of the cartoon and its updated tie-in toy line was notable in that it was the first time Hasbro commissioned new bots to be built rather than reusing old ones. Utilising what had been established already, they came up with designs for futuristic space cars and starships rather than scale models of existing sports cars and fighter jets. This meant brighter colours, bigger parts, easier transformations and severing ties with the Japanese lines, as well as the manufacturers of the real-world vehicles they were licensing. In other words, this was a move to exert control over an already extremely lucrative franchise. To achieve this new equilibrium, there had to be a big event bridging seasons two and three, an out-with-the-old, in-with-the-new moment that told the kids, you will no longer be able to buy the Transformers you've seen on shelves for the past two years. From now on, there will be new characters, and you better embrace them quickly. Hence, $6 million was allocated to produce a Transformers movie. The director, Nelson Shin, and the scriptwriter, Ron Friedman, may have had the desire to tell an epic story about a major turning point in the war for robot kind, but make no mistake, the production of this film was precipitated upon a power play by Hasbro in the toy sales business. So picture the scene. You're the key demographic, an eight-year-old boy in January 1986, when season two ends. In September, season three begins, but first up in August, you get the movie with all these cool new Transformers toys being advertised on TV, who are probably going to be in season three. You assemble your huge collection of bots accrued since you were six and convince your mum to take you to the cinema. What happens next is the systematic destruction of what feels like everything you've been collecting, including the brutal deaths of leaders Megatron, Starscream, and Optimus Prime. In all likelihood, you'll cry and fall apart, causing your mother to get irate at the film itself and its makers. You're then hardly going to go back to school raving about it, and your mum will not mention her experience warmly to her friends at the grocery store. This film is, in essence, a toy sales-focused nightmare packed to the gills with made-up gibberish. That would be why it made $6 million. Almost. Almost breaking even. Having said that, watching it today, especially entirely emotionally divorced from the situation, it's rather fun. Pacey, silly, sad, and sweet. A boatload less offensive than a lot of what was released in the 80s. It's also very possible that in retrospect, the death of Optimus Prime, though cynical in its intent, being conveyed here with sensitivity and weight in a way that makes it more memorable and dramatically impactful upon Transformers fans than any moment before or since in this unkillable franchise. So in terms of synopsis, the short version runs thus. 20 years after the events of the first two seasons of the TV show, in the far-off futuristic year of 2005, the Decepticons attack Autobot City on Earth. Optimus Prime comes to the rescue and he and Megatron fight, both sustaining fatal injuries. Prime dies and passes the Matrix of Leadership, said to light the Autobots' darkest hour, to a bot named Ultra Magnus, and Decepticon Lieutenant Starscream chucks the still-functioning Megatron into space. Megatron meets an immense mechanical planet-devouring being named Unicron, who seeks to devour the Transformers' homeworld of Cybertron. Unicron transforms Megatron into Galvatron. 
Galvatron and the Decepticons chase the surviving Autobots all over the galaxy to several bizarre planets for oddball escapades, until they reconvene for a final attack on Unicron. An Autobot soldier named Hot Rod fights Galvatron within Unicron and opens the Matrix, becoming the new leader of the Autobots, Rodimus Prime. Unicron is destroyed from within before he can devour Cybertron, the Decepticons are routed, and the few remaining Autobots cheer a small victory. Gonna go ahead and sit and guess, uh, Ryan and Neil, that this film meant a hell of a lot to you guys when you first saw it. Oh yeah, <laughs> quite oh, a lot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely eat that up. Explain your first experience. Did you see it in the cinema, or, or were you a bit too young? Do you want to go first, Neil? Uh, I'll go first. I was too young to see it in the cinema. I saw it on home video, and True. yeah. It, it, it made me cry because I love Transformers growing up. I still love Transformers despite what Michael Bay is trying to do. But, um, you know, I really loved it. So when you watch that film and it opens and all of a sudden you're introduced to a planet-eating Transformer by the name of Unicron, it's like, whoa. And then, um, you know, the whole attack on Autobot City and how that ends, it, it blows your mind because, like you said... Uh, a lot of the way through, well, all through the series, it's very bloodless, you know. It's always, you know, no one's ever hurt, no one's ever killed. They get stung a bit by laser fire, but no one actually gets properly injured. But when Megatron and Starscream break into the Autobot shuttle and, and literally just slaughter, I think it's Ironhide, Ratchet, Cliffjumper, all just get just shot, gone. It's like, what? And Brawn and Prowl. Yeah. Oh, no, not Cliffjumper. He actually survives all the way through to the end. Does he? Yeah. yeah, Cliff Jumper, ironically, is the one who bites it in the first episode of uh, Prime. Yes, but yeah, no, they, rock. they 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 shoot, they just cap Brawn like just coming in, and uh, apparently this is contentious among fans because he's one of the strongest, most you know hardy of the Autobots, and just like one laser blast, and he's down. That's right, Brawn is a, a brick shithouse, if you mind me saying, uh, from the first and second season. He's like the old veteran guy who always uh, mm. was quite physical, I think, in the cartoon. So, yeah, just to see him uh, get blown apart just like that, was uh, I thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> I didn't realise when I first saw it that that was actually what was happening. I just, you know, For some reason, as a kid, I was just like, oh, okay, so there's a big action sequence. I wonder if those guys are coming back later. I just didn't get, no, 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 no. dead is dead. That's right. Um, I think from from my memories, then I think I'm I'm the same as Neil. Really, I was too young to see it at the cinema, but uh, I remember it being on TV just every now and again, the TV show. But when it went away, I remember going to the local video shop where you could rent out loads of videos. But the one I would go for every week because it had the coolest cover of all of them was obviously the movie. Yeah. Um, and of course, that looked better. You know the. It was so much more colourful. There was so much more going on. I think it, you know, I don't know how many times I watched that, uh, rented that video out. It was amazing. Um, and of course, at the time as well, I had quite a few of the toys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah it's a uh, fantastic really. And it's only 20 years later, I think, when you, um, you find out, you know, the internet's a main thing and you realise that there's all this nostalgia for it and you can revisit all the past. Um, and with the advent of DVD now, you know, I've got sitting here next to me all the every single episode of G1 on DVD, mm-hmm. and I think I've got the movie about four times on DVD. So uh, I'm a bit of a nutcase for it. <laughs> yeah, I only have it twice on DVD. <laughs> yeah. uh, Sharon, uh, did you? Am I right in saying you, this was the first time you'd seen it all the way through when we watched it the other day? I believe so. Yeah, I know I'd seen snippets here and there. 
Um, but I don't think I'd ever, I I certainly didn't remember ever sitting down and watching it from start to finish. So, so you're our control contestant. Well, I'm, I'm hardly the target demographic, am I? Yeah, but you can tell us entirely, you know, you can remove yourself from the, the emotion of the thing and the nostalgia of the thing and just assess it for what it is. I, it, it was an experience, um, <clears throat> probably most akin to absorbing psychotropic substances of some kind, um, particularly the uh, uh, bar... The bar, bar, wheat, bar, 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 that that whole thing. I was like, I suddenly realised I was hearing Eric Idle's voice, and it was like, this is just too strange. Yeah, the Junkions um, didn't say knee. They the did not. I was devastated. <laughs> um, but um, I mean, I, I I say I'm not. I wasn't the target demographic. Um, ultimately, you me had and my a few sister, bots, as I recall. Yeah, no, me and my sister had a couple, and um, we did get the um, the comic. Not like religiously but we did get it every now and again and um, we did watch the uh, the cartoon when we were little so I, I wasn't completely devoid of any understanding of what transformers were you know the whole uh, robots become cars thing didn't go over my head or anything like that so uh, so yeah I, I think it was um educational <laughs> I'm in a, a, a rather unique position in the way my brain works. I retain facts. So if I was well into something as a kid, I tend to remember all of that stuff now still to this day, which means that even though I'm not really into Transformers, I could probably give Ryan a run for his money in terms of Transformers facts. I know so much about this stuff. I It's not so much that I wish I didn't. I'm kind of glad I do, but I feel like I, I, I'm betraying Transformers fans by knowing as much as they do, but not loving it as much as they do. It's weird. Ooh, I'm interested in these facts that you've got. You can probably test me and go, I don't bloody know how big <laughs> Unicron. And th- there is a... Th- it's quite like, big. <laughs> the point about scale, though, I mean, he's, he's big, but when you get to the end... Like, the, the ship can fly through his eye. That makes Cybertron seem about the size of a small English village. Yeah, yeah. yeah but uh, I think it depends on what scene they want. Yeah, it will, yeah, it will change scene by scene. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah, that, was, that was typical of Transformers. Like, things would be as large as they wanted or as small as they wanted yeah. whenever it was suitable. So, uh, you know, suspension of disbelief, really, with a lot of it. And animation gaffes and continuity errors all over the shop. There's... Uh, what I find um, mystifying is uh, that the, the hardcore fans attempt to uh, somehow create explanations as to why these inconsistencies exist. I do exactly the same thing with the X-Men movies and trying to work out a continuity with that. It's like I think you've got the harder job. Yeah. I, you, you could just go, well, it was a gaffe, wasn't it? That, that, that makes it a lot less sort of, you know, you, you tear out less hair that way. Oh, clearly. Just, yeah, just let it go. You know, <laughs> if there's an extra robot on screen that looks like a double... It's just there, you know, it was just an accident. Never yeah. mind, just forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> but there will be hardcore fans who are like, never, oh, we will never forget about it. I've got a whole story out to, to describe exactly what this armada of cyclonuses is. Yeah, I think I know what you're going to be talking about with that one. Oh, no, <laughs> I won't. It's, 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 I, I will breeze over that one because I don't have enough time. But um, right, we'll start off with the first bullet point, Hair Rock Soundtrack. Awesomeness! <laughs> It is rather, isn't it? Ultimate 80s soundtrack. It, it, it really is. But what makes me laugh, which was the band that had to change the name? Is it, was it Lion? It was, no. Uh, no, uh, it was uh, 
Uh, there's a few of them actually. I think one of them was, was called Axe Kick, Kick, and they had to change their name to Spectre General. Spectre, Spectre General, yeah, that's one. Yeah, and uh, let's see, Instruments of Destruction. I don't know if the band is called NRG. Um, you'll have to have a look about it, but yeah, there was there's a big uh, controversy with that. You can hear the like the original version with the original lyrics, and they're a little bit more vicious sounding than the actual track that was used in the in the film. Yeah. Yeah, most of it. I mean, yeah, done by uh, Vince DiCola. Yeah, who, of the Rocky films. Yeah, I mean, thinking about it, you know, he, his music is extremely 80s. Quintessentially? I, I would say so. It's the most ridiculous and most over-the-top yeah. sounding electronic music you'll ever hear. And it's and the good thing is, I mean, I don't, I don't believe that his career with that style of music lasted for many films, really. Maybe, like, a handful. Mm. So... The Transformers soundtrack is so iconic and stands out so differently to anything else you'll ever hear. Yeah. You know, as you hear it, you know there's something odd about that one, and it's very 80s. Yeah, uh, and, and how the songs fit in, and just to have the punch the air moments, like the touch when the touch kicks in. Yeah, yeah. you're punching the air. It, it even works still to this day because anyone that's played Fall of Cybertron, uh, Fall of yeah. Cybertron, the second. second one, where it kicks in there, and he's just like, oh yeah, you <laughs> just. <laughs> You just smile and I'll be like, oh yes, well done lads. The, there's a bit where that turns up in Boogie Nights, uh, and um, Mark Wahlberg sings it, which is ironic since he's actually in Transformers 4. Yeah. I assume he's going to, uh, what would be the word? Sing it? No. Uh, He'll brush past it. No, no, he, he, will, he will serenade it to uh, Optimus Prime. <laughs> No, probably not actually, because because Stan Bush didn't get paid a goddamn cent for that appearance. He just found out that it was in book. He said, "That's my song," and they just did it because he's small time and they could. Much as I love Paul Thomas Anderson, and that is a brilliant movie. Still, uh, that was a dick move. Very dick, dick move. move. <laughs> oh, really? Big bright shining star. You got the touch. You got the power! Yeah! After all is said and done, you never walk, you never run, you're a winner! You got the moves, you know the streets, you break the 
it's all that typical 80s hair metal, you know. It's like a lot of it, you're not sure if they're actually metal bands or if they're trying to cash in yeah. at the time. So uh, it was like glammy metal stuff. But I don't know, a lot of it a lot of it stands up, you know. Yeah. I still uh, listen to the soundtrack every now and again. Although one of my childhood heroes, Weird Al Yankovic, stands out like a sore thumb. Oh, it does, really but it's a brilliant song. It's very appropriate. It's terrible. But it's horrible to listen to. Yeah. I love that doing song. Devo. And uh, and yeah, it's it's designed to to make it sound like a, uh, a cobbled together um, load of like 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 they got radio signals from Earth, the Junkions, didn't they? So they yeah they've got, kind of got this. Um, it, it's similar to Firefly in that it's a sort of a combination of American and Japanese sort of trashy pop references. That's right. Yeah, it was like an MTV sort of style video guy. Yeah. Obviously, Firefly's Chinese and American, but the similar sort of meeting of a, a East and West. But again, we're reading too much into it. Uh, let's move on. Let's move on to the first few seconds. Uh, there's different intros to this film. Uh, if you watch the um, original theatrical version, you've got like a zooming letters on uh, the, uh, on the space, which is kind of like emulating Superman. And that's the the one that you can get. Like, just to explain, there's a, a two disc edition you can get right now. Uh, the uh, one was released released in 2007. Which on disc one you got the theatrical version, and that was basically they made it widescreen, but they made it widescreen from a like square pan and scan frame. So basically they just chopped the top and the bottom off. So your widescreen version's actually been trimmed. However, it's really beautifully polished up. So it's kind of a eh. It's, it's not dissimilar, in fact, to the, the, the Muppets Christmas Carol, in that you will never get an absolutely perfect version of it unless they really polish up the um, the pan and scan one. I believe, yeah, but I believe the uh, comparing it to the the original VHS yeah. and then the subsequent DVDs, and then I think there was an American remaster yeah. where seventy five percent of it was remastered, and then there was one reel which they had to re- revert to like the old school stuff because they couldn't yeah. find it. And then uh, a few years later, for the was it either the 25th or the 30th anniversary of the film? 25th, probably. It's not 2016 um, yet, so it won't be the 30th. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, that DVD, yeah, that was when they first cleaned it up properly right. uh, all the way through. And the uh, the Blu-ray version of that one from America is very good. Oh, yeah, I have seen the Blu-ray one. It's extremely crisp. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, the Blu-ray is extremely expensive if you want to get hold of it. But the uh, this two-disc one, if you just want like a comprehensive version with both versions on it, so you don't feel like you're missing out too much, uh, this one's a good one to pick up. Although also the uh, original 2001 from Rhino Entertainment is a pretty good polished version of the video pan and scan type one. Um, on the British one, you don't get Superman, you get Star Wars. A narration from Victor Caroli, is that it? Yeah, it's yeah, got it's a narration. Guy, was, yeah, sorry, it was the guy who always did the the narration in the uh, cartoon, so it was nice to get him back. There will be Carterbuds and the deadly Decepticons. He's got a voice like that, and he does make it sound awesome. Yeah, you got the narration at the start and the yeah. end, which and was very weird watching this version because it's like. Oh yeah, no narration. No narration, and you got <laughs> scrolling text, a la Star Wars again. The Transformers intro by Lion. I'm going to play the song for you now because it's fucking awesome. Yes. I mean, it's, it's hair metal absolutely, completely and utterly, and you kind of have to either embrace it or run from it. You can't really just be in the same room at it, as it? So I, I recommend you folks embrace it now because it's going to happen whether you like it or not. Kind of like the Michael Bay Transformers films. Oh, I wish yeah. I had this song played at my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> but I never did. Transformers! <laughs>
although somebody didn't really talk to Lion because um, when they uh, the, the, he's singing away and he's going when you caught up in the grip of the evil unicorn no one stepped in and said it, it's Unicron he's a character in the film I think I think he's saying unicorn Never mind. (laughs) If you've ever been caught up in the grip of the evil unicorn, folks, let us know. Picks or it didn't happen. And (laughs) so, I mean, okay, animation. The first thing you see actually before this intro is uh, unicorn attacking and eating a whole planet, and he is Galactus, and that's fine because they're cribbing on everything else. Um, Well, if you notice, who else helped produce this? Who was it? Was it Marvel Studios? Yeah, Marvel. Then they definitely probably got their blessing. Definitely, probably. <laughs> well, I was going to say it is an easy compromise. You know, Unicron is Galactus, and Galvatron is one of the heralds. Yeah, very first few seconds when Unicron does that flyby, the animation's fucking awesome. I mean, mm. even by today's standards, it's oh, like it's something out of Akira, and it just sort of you know, flies past, and you you've got that sort of great sense of motion, and it's a huge step up from the uh, TV series, which I, I I love the animation in the TV series, partly because combining it with the music in the original TV series, it's like you know, immediate sensory time travel back to when I was a kid. Um, but the animation here is fantastic. However, there are chunks of the movie when the animation just drops to a few frames at a time, or like, especially when it goes side on and they got a few action sequences, like when the tapes attack each other and they're kicking each other around the room, and it's just this really embarrassing, almost like flash animation style uh, crap sort of bouncing back and forth. It was pretty much the sort of standard stuff. You still see it now, it's when you call yeah. it going off model. Yeah. They go off model quite often. Although I think they do, they do tend to use extra bits wisely. The whole uh, "you got the touch" <laughs> scene uh, when Optimus turns up on Autobot City. Mm. Uh, oh uh, yeah, yeah. If that doesn't, through the air. Yeah. Let's face it, that's just a fuck yeah <laughs> moment. I don't care who you are. That is fuck yeah. Especially since uh, Optimus is, I never really realised this before. Red, white, and blue. Yeah. It, it's so obvious that he's he's just like the the uh, the, the grave American soldier. Uh, but um, yeah, the oh, we'll get to that bit in a second. But that there's there, a lot of this movie and a lot of the whole Transformers mythos hangs upon the shoulders of Optimus himself. Uh, but um, oh yeah, other animation gaffes include a lot of looping, where they sort of just run the same few frames of animation over and over again. If you check out the planet Junkion, whenever the Junkions are happy. It just sort of shows the same few seconds going and oh, looping yes, again yes. when they're sort of running towards their spaceship or dancing um, the, the merry... Oh, what is it? Here we go around the mulberry bush? Yeah, it's when they're dancing to Weird Al, isn't it? Yeah, it looks a little bit strange. This play, film is it? tonally all over the place. <laughs> I th- I th- you, can, you can tell it's just done to a strict budget. Yeah. Uh, and they definitely planned out, like, the, the, the special hero moments. Yeah. Like, the, you know, the, like, the special bit with the Optimus Prime and Megatron fight or the opening sequence. Yeah. But yeah, towards, I would say more parts towards the end of the film where it's the new cast of characters. That's where the animation seems to have, to lose its way in places. Yeah. It's like, this is where they put less effort and interest into the uh, into the project really also possibly because they've got um, they've got a lot more uh, reference for the original models of the original characters very much so earlier yes. on but then they they're creating these other guys from scratch so you know how do, yeah. how does one define RC and blur and especially when RC never even got a bloody toy 
That's right. Up until recently, I think you can you can get some from uh, like these Botcom ones or whatever they were, whatever they announce every year. Like it's finally got like a, an official G1 looking toy. Yeah. Um, but before that, you had to go to China and get these really terrible knockoff toys to uh, get an RC, which is really strange. You know, you're just thinking at the time, this is predominantly to sell toys. We put a female character in this because we want girls to buy these toys, especially if it's pink. Yeah. And then, of course, they never actually release it in the end anyway. That's baffling. Not to mention she doesn't really get much of a character at all until about Transformers Prime. Sharon, any thoughts on RC at all? I have many thoughts on RC. How clean are we keeping this? (laughs) Um, The the thing that puzzles me about her the most, um, and this is something that... largely probably due to my own lack of research I have yet to find a satisfactory answer on it why is there a gender divide amongst the Transformers at all because I don't know enough about them to know what their origin and and how they're created or anything like that but I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that it does not involve the combining of zygotes in which case there is no necessity for female transformers at all they are by definition genderless if they're technology um so that was a little bit baffling. Um, also, even if they did somehow reproduce sexually, she's tiny and there's one of her. That doesn't work on any level. Um, oh, I'm assuming, are you going to mention the fact that she clearly has boobs? She has boobs. That was the next thing I was going to say. I, what? Oh, yeah, she's overly feminized, isn't she? Like, the other guys are just basically boxes. Feminized. And somebody pointed out, actually, when I mentioned this on Twitter, if you look at where her paint job goes when she's in robot form, Mm -hmm. she's wearing a friggin' bikini. Oh, God, she is. So... Whatever their (laughs) rationale was... I mean, (laughs) it's entirely possible that some imbecile came up with this design on the principle that this will get girls interested in Transformers. Then they watched the film and went, no, it won't. We're not going to bother making a toy of this. No, because that's not how it works in the toy uh, industry. The toys get made, like, they get planned out, like, 18 months beforehand. If they were going to make an RC, they were going to start They would have made it it already, yeah. So, in that case, I don't know. Possibly they thought they were throwing Little Sisters a bone, I, that sounds not a big enough bone. <laughs> that sounded even worse. Yep. Um, I, I mean, I I was trying to work out whether this was was something of the time because I know through the nineties there was this absolute obsession that girls will only be interested in something if there is a pink thing, a singular token pink thing for them to somehow latch their their ideology onto, which is utter nonsense. That's why stuff like um, Captain Planet was so progressive. Well. You say that, but then we were looking at the uh, He-Man, She-Ra, Sword in the Stone movie, yeah. and if you look in the characters in that property, there is no token pink female. Even if you look at He-Man, which was ostensibly a boy's cartoon, mm. there are there's Teela, there's Sorceress, there's Evelyn, um, there's... Queen Marlena, none of them wear pink. Even in She-Ra, where it, there is more of a leaning towards um, uh, pushing the toys to little girls, She-Ra is not girly and, and pink. All right, Glimmer wears pink, but I think Bo is more feminised in terms of his um, uh, his outfit. He's got a big, huge heart on his chest. Yeah, he does look like a um, Care Bear that's achieved human form somehow. Yeah, 
well, indeed. But it, you By know, devouring the souls of children. Lots of heart power. It just doesn't <laughs> seem to have that same sense of we completely forgot that girls existed until the last minute when somebody pointed out that we ought to have something in it for girls, so we tacked on a pink thing because it was a repaint and easier. That's exactly what it is. It shows it shows lack of thought and lack of planning, really. Whereas you were saying, yeah, He-Man and She-Ra, it was like a, a thing where, you know, both of those series were quite successful and the toys were as well. Whereas, yeah, you could imagine with Transformers, very strictly for boys, and it was a tacked-on thing in there at the end. And especially, yeah, as you say, the toy never came out, so it's very, very strange. Well, the, the She-Ra was a very straightforward case of, right, we've had a lot of boys are buying these action figures, let's make dolls for girls, but we'll also make a few more action figures of the baddies for boys because girls aren't going to like baddies anyway but we kind of need that dichotomy um gi joe on the other hand it chucked in girls from the word go again not many of them but it never dressed them up in pink they were obviously all soldiers and equal to the uh, the rest of the joes you say that actually but if you look at the tone of she-ra mm-hmm. that may have been the principle with which they went in on the toys yeah. but the storylines that were developed or take take Bo as an example, actually. You would expect the male character in that world to be big and butch like He-Man. And all of the, you know, a lot of the heroes in the He-Man cartoon were extremely muscle-bound. He's not, because the physical strength actually lies with She-Ra. And then you've got other female characters as well who have different um, skills and abilities. They've, you know, most of them are... They're different shapes. You've got, you know, Madame Raz, who's little and squeaky and old and, and does magic. And comes from um, Brooklyn. And comes from Brooklyn, apparently, which was um, something of a surprise. But you know what I mean? I, it just it puzzles me that you can have cartoons like that. And I'm not necessarily saying that there was great progressive forethought that went into it, but great progressive interpretation can come out of it and it puzzles me a little bit that that can exist in the same era as something which is incredibly dismissive and and um you know just a second-hand thought um and yet people will put it down to oh well that was just the time wasn't it it obviously wasn't yeah there's a bunch of different approaches, and in this case, they, the Transformers, it was like, if we ever get a girl interested in this, it'll just be through fluke. We're not actually going to make any particular but inroads then, in that. Like I said, me and my sister liked Transformers. We, we were into a lot of different um, toy properties when we were kids. Some of them intended for boys, some of them intended for girls. We had My Little Ponies, Care Bears, Transformers, and the Rock Lords from He-Man all lined up on the same shelf. So I, I think when it comes down to it, if you if you are presenting a decent cartoon and a decent world, children of all genders will want to get involved and play with it. I will say there are too many bots in this film to really establish strong characters uh, across the board. There's, like, um, Springer, for example. Can anyone off the top of their head define Springer as a character from what you learn in this film without mentioning what he transforms into or what colour he is? <laughs> I think I he's, 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 which like what a, he is. He's, he's like a very vague Han Solo type guy who's quite chummy with RC, even though you get the impression RC fancies Hot Rod a little bit, but that's as far as it goes. Yeah. And he's green. Yeah. <laughs> Can't say he's and green. transforms into a weird helicopter. Can't say he's transformed into a toy. <laughs> I, I, I love the toy, but, uh, but the, 
like I said, the um, most of these guys seem to pre- exist upon a quirk of them. Like so, so you got John Mashita as Blur, who speaks very fast and does things very fast, and was obviously very appealing to me as a very hyperactive child. Uh, but there's not much else to him. This is why we've held off doing Transformers for this long. There's, there's really not much to actually analyze in terms of the characters. There's just lots and lots of new bots, and then they sort of sweep away the the uh, earlier bots. So you know, as we said, Ironhide. The beloved Ironhide. Just mm. dead. Prowl, dead. Ratchet, dead. Dead. Braun, dead. Dead. Wheeljack got killed off camera. I didn't even know yep. Wheeljack died in this, but like, if you watch very yep. carefully, he's just dead in one side, like, side panel. And Windcharger is also dead. Uh, I believe as well, I think there were quite a few other characters that were supposed, to, I think what happened was the voice actors were recorded for those characters, mm. like Inferno and a few of the well, other. Yeah, so we, we noticed Inferno they weren't, was, uh, they weren't animated yeah. or something or other, they were cut. So there's lots of other characters that died yeah. that, uh, because they never turned up in series three or four after that. Yeah. Let us never speak um, of Inferno again. Yes. I had that it's, toy. He was cool. He was cool. Yeah, I've, I've still got him up here now. I'm, I've got to go through my, uh, show you my toy collection. It's growing very quickly at the moment. There was originally going to be, if you check out the original script, it was going to be like a charge of the light brigade where all the Autobots went over the top and were mown down by the Decepticons. And, and to be fair, this film's pretty, I don't want to say it's bloody, but you know what I mean? It, it has this high death toll, so even with brutal. that, my god. Yeah. Well, imagine, replace that, uh, who is it? Is it Prowl at the beginning of the film? He gets shot in the chest and fire comes out of his yeah. uh, mouth. Eyes. And he falls on the floor, burning to a crisp. You imagine, replace that fire with blood and that's what you get. Yeah. Mm. You know. Well, Ironhide, who basically gets shot in the chest, is still alive, bleeding out, grabs Megatron, who then ca- basically point blank shoots him in the head. Brilliant. The G.I. Joe movie that uh, was being made at exactly the same time uh, featured the character of Duke being killed. And uh, Hasbro said, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. We, we, uh, can you do that to Optimus Prime? So that's literally as much thought as was required to get the filmmakers to actually get it done. They, I'm amazed looking at it now, that they actually approached it with some subtlety and some respect As I said, we're in the uh, opening preamble. It, it was just a case of, of let's just get this thing done, sweep them out of the way. And obviously, Peter Cullen was kind of heartbroken as well because he was like, you know, he'd been doing this one for several years now, and he was kind of getting used to the respect he was getting as Optimus Prime, and he was he was loving the role. And they was like, "What? You're out, Pete? I am. You're out." To be fair, he was out for about half a season. Yeah, and then they brought him back because kids yeah. kids didn't like Optimus Prime dying for some reason. And didn't like Rodimus Prime at yeah. all. Oh, and also the, Transformers. The moaning, the moaning leader who's feeling sorry for himself all the time. Emo Optimus. Yeah, that was a problem. Um. <laughs> That's totally what they'd go for these days, though. No, it's not. They've got Prime, where, which features Prime. And also um, Beast Wars featured Optimus Primal. He's, he's kind of yeah, their they're... mascot. You kind of need him. I think, But don't you, don't you realise it was like few things happened with this film it was the turning point it was like okay with this film we want to get rid of all of the like the original diaclone inspired toys mm. so all of like the cars um, and some of the like the early jet seekers and megatron yep. get rid of those and then we want all of our own hasbro made toys to be introduced yep. so therefore it's all these futuristic plastic toys of all these bright colors that you can buy in all sorts of sets 
Um, and with that, yes, I, I get the impression as well that the uh, Hasbro were quite uh, comfortable with letting the animators be uh, quite experimental mm. and basically let them go to be as violent as possible, really, with this yeah. film. Which really, you think this should be like a 12A in places, considering how violent it is. Yeah, if, you, if kids were really engaged with these characters, this is a lot. Basically, it's it's a lot more upsetting to someone who cares about them than to someone who's just watching going, oh, a robot died. So what? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of funny considering the remastered version that I watched, which I have no idea which one of the film many iterations it is. Is a you? Yeah, indeed. Has that got the swear word in as well? It, he, yeah, yeah. He goes shit. Seriously? He says shit. Look, it isn't even dented. Oh shit! What are we gonna do now? Okay, that may actually have been a mistake. They may just have, like the BBFC may have sat there and said, "Oh, we've got to watch this film again." Ugh, you, it's all kid stuff. But yeah, no, actually, it just says suitable for all. <clears throat> That's rubbish. There's, uh, it's not suitable for all. It's it's upsetting for all. There's um, there's actually a very good reason why uh, they had him say shit. It's just so they could get a PG so PG thirteen rating. Exactly, it? so they could get a PG rating. I don't know if it got them the PG. I think you get a fuck. Oh, I was going to say that wouldn't get you a PG thirteen. No, but a PG, uh, you get more showings at the cinema. A U rated film, they only show them uh, at uh, matinees, uh, except for if it's Star Wars, basically. So they they kind of think. And honey, this ain't Star Wars. Yes. Yeah. So in the theatrical <laughs> version, you got the shit, and then when it went to home video, they just cut the shit. And <laughs> the shit didn't come back until the Canadian re-release in the early 2000s, and then every subsequent oh, version. This conversation works on so many had levels. Had shit put back inside it. Superb. I cooked the shit. <laughs> um, there's also, uh, uh, in terms of characters, Danny the Human Cipher. He's the guy who's uh, replacing Spike because Spike's his dad, and then of course kids can't relate to a, a 40 year old man. Uh, so they, they stick in Danny, uh, who's, you know, f- first off starts out hanging out with Hot Rod, played by Judd Nelson. Uh, oh, yes. Does Barry Manilow know you raid his wardrobe? As, like, Bender, the rebellious criminal in The Breakfast Club, just a few years before, suddenly rendered into this nice Transformer. Nice, cocky, yeah. He's a bit cocky, but he's not very cocky. I suppose he's a bit mouthy with Cup, but only a bit. He's not exactly Han Solo. He's more like Luke. Although, um, I love the fact that Cup is pretty much almost a rip-off of Dr. McCoy. I do like Cup, actually. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've never put that to, put two and two together, but yeah, you bang on with that. Yeah. That's why I always sit there going, you got Leonard Nimoy. But you couldn't get DeForest Kelly that te- for that role. <laughs> that technically makes Hot Rod Kirk and Prime Captain Pike. You're correct there. Nice. So what we're really missing is a Spock. There, I mean, there are plenty of like characters, like Perceptor, you could I say. say yeah, he transforms yeah, fascinatingly into a microscope. Um, yeah, not not that exciting. But uh, yeah, maybe Ultra Magnus as well fits in there somewhere, yeah. but, uh, but Cot- he's pretty hopeless. Cotwood never <laughs> clashes with anyone apart from Cup. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's an element that, that they could have maybe... Maybe uh, if, if someone else had been hanging out with Cup and Hot Rod and had actually like bickered with Hot Rod over what to do... With Cup going, both you kids, you don't know how it goes in combat. That actually would have created a bit more conflict and might have actually made it a bit more engaged, those bits a bit more engaging as they are. Sharon was just like boggled when the Sharktacons turned up. I was like, they're going to throw him to the Sharktacons. She said, I thought you were joking. 
when they announced that they were actually called Sharkticons. Nope. <laughs> and Squinticons. Uh, the Squinticons. <laughs> really, the Squinticons in that? <laughs> I don't know. Quintessons. Quintessons. Quintessons, yeah. yes. <laughs> Squinting. It turned out to be quite uh, important later on. There's a... a Again, regarding gaffes, um, the continuity of the Transformers gets laid down in Season 2 regarding exactly how they came to be. And then in 3, they're like, no, no, scrub all that out, and then we'll start again and say a completely different uh, origin of the Transformers. And again, fans have fought tooth and nail to see if they can consolidate these two origins. Well, when it comes down to it, one writer said, this is bollocks, let's write something better. Yeah, add a bit of depth to it. So if I if I remember rightly... From series three and four, was it correct that the Quintessons uh, built Cybertron? Yeah. And the Autobots were like service bots to go around and help uh, and build the workers, things. And, yeah. then the, and then the Decepticons were like the gladiators. Yeah. Um, or, or the, and of the, course, the military, yeah. That's right. And then uh, over it's time, like they rebelled against the Quintessons. Yeah. Basically. If you're gonna go, yeah. if you're gonna uh, create a mythology, you may as well go back to formula. Get Fritz Lang and uh, and go. Ah, this is probably a good thing. So, so, uh, technically, we're, we're feeding uh, children the classics in the form of bot adventures because you've got uh, Orson Welles there as Unicron, as uh, te- who could technically be called Charles Foster Kane, the all devouring media baron. I preferred him as Galactus, although he didn't have the hat that was the tits. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, back, sorry, to Danny the Human Cypher, who's given an exosuit, which um, allows him to transform into a sort of a car, which, uh, again, why didn't they just make a figure of this? Oh, you can get one now. Yeah, but now. Not at the time. But at the time, it's like, it's just cut and dried. I mean, you don't, I mean, yeah, technically all the bots need to be made, but um, you may as well just chuck Danny and RC in there as well, just on the off chance that they might appeal. Yeah, indeed. If, you yeah. Cut, if you're making all these new moulds and things, you don't have to stick to Diaclone anymore. Well, I remember him from that film was when he went, Transform! Yeah. <laughs> How do I do this? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'd want that toy. He's not cool enough oh, for no, me. I wouldn't want it, but I'm amazed they didn't make <laughs> it anyway. I mean, they made Scott, Tracker, and uh, T-Bob... For masks, so why not make Danny? No, Scott, you can't go fishing. Maybe to look both no. ways before you cross the road. And now I have the mask theme stuck in my head. Well, the mask crusaders <sighs> fighting over time, fighting crime, fighting, fighting crime. crime. <laughs> <laughs> Secret raiders, aren't they? Yeah, yeah they will, they will neutralize <laughs> anyway. as soon as they arrive. Dragon's gonna lead the mission. Oh, no, it's one of those things you actually have to finish the song before you can move on. Okay, we, we, we can't carry <laughs> okay. on about Spectrum's got such supervision. <laughs> oh, mask. Okay, folks, go back and listen to Nevermind the Buzz Geeks number one, which was TV <laughs> Cartoons of the 80s. It's a classic uh, uh, digital gonzo quiz. It's brilliant. Great fun. And, and if we're referencing that, all I'm going to say is Cosmo Cats. Cosmo Cats! Ah! Maybe the most I've ever laughed during a podcast. Lovely. Okay, other vaguely mentioned bots throughout this. Jazz is sort of mentioned, and this is the last time that Scatman Crothers ever uh, uh, voiced the Autobot as he died, I think, while they were filming. So he gets like half a line or something like that. He was also Scat Cat in um, uh, the Aristocats, and uh, he was that guy in The Shining. Got killed with an axe. Killed with an axe. 
Um, Bumblebee sort of in the, considering how popular Bumblebee is, he's like the second most important Transformer ever. I'm amazed he's not in this more. But again, they were just out with the old. Yep. You can, you can see though with this list that you've got here, like Jazz, I believe it was still quite popular toys, so that sold. Yeah. One of the original Diaclone. Bumblebee as well was still selling well. Soundwave will always sell well. Um, the, the Constructicons has only been out for about a year. Yeah. Uh, Blaster was brand new. Dirge and Ramjet had only, and Thrust had only been out for about Hang on. a year. Was he brand new or was he still from the Microman line? Uh, Blaster, I... Was he I, just a later one from the uh, Microman I, I think he was a much later one, if that's correct. You have to read about it on the internet. Uh, and Cliffjumper as well, because he was one of the smaller ones. They always sold. Uh, let's see. The Triple Changers, yeah. Blitzwing and Astro Train. I've got both of those sitting here, actually. And they were really, really popular because they were the Triple Changers. Yeah. Um, and then there were all the, the bits and pieces that went with uh, Soundwave as well. Blur was a brand new one, and the Dinobots sold an absolute bucket load. Bucket load, yeah. yes, because I yes. had them. One could understand yeah. why kids would love the Dinobots, because they're two things that kids love combined. Yeah. Robots and, the, and dinosaurs! Yeah. Yes! And the, and the toys, though, they're, they're like clear, they've got bits of gold and chrome on them, so they stand out yeah. and look really cool. And they all match, well. and they all go together. I think um, uh, Swoop was very difficult to find in Europe. Um, and yet Snarl was barely sh- seen in this film. He is there. He's the uh, Stegosaurus, uh, but he's only in a few shots. Excuse me. Yeah, I think that was the one, yeah. Also, I, th- I believe Slag has been renamed for UK markets for the new film. I love the fact he was called Slag, and it wasn't because he was a slag. He's, <laughs> yeah, he's been called Slug yeah. everywhere now, actually, I, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, there are a lot of licensing that's, that's issues funny. as well. Yeah. Like, over time, they don't keep the licenses pending for all of the characters, so Hot Rod is now called Hot Rodimus, because I believe Hot Wheels now have the, the license to use the term Hot Rod or some shit. That's the yeah, the toy I've got with the box up here is called Rod- Rodimus Major. Brilliant. They always have to yeah. call him something different. There can't be any continuity with it because they just can't call him Hot Rod. So there's, there's, there's things like they call them like Decepticon Snarl or something like that because like their name in and of itself has then been used by someone else. So it's, okay. it's it's weird. It's not obviously it's not Snarl because he's one of the Dinobots, but uh, 
Uh, maybe like maybe Decepticon Thrust because someone has licensed the term Thrust. <laughs> so if you get the Decepticon Thrust, it's totally different. But yes, they're all in there, and again, it's it's that same kind of thing that the uh, TV show did, which is to have them all in there for a little bit, have them named if they could, and then so the kids would buy the toys. But ironically, in this case, you kind of didn't want the kids to buy those toys. I suppose they were only there so that kids wouldn't go, there is not one goddamn Transformer that I own in this film. <laughs> They're just there, I suppose, to, to keep the kids happy while they move them forwards to, to you know, get the new ones. And it wasn't like I wasn't really dead excited about the new ones. I didn't see the difference when I was a kid, six, seven years old. I just wanted Scourge. Me, me and Neil, I think we were around the same age, so because we were too young for the film at the time, yeah. I think it was like only the popular ones which had stuck around even after the film and come into the series yeah. those are the ones that we remembered so when I saw the film it was like all these bright new characters yeah. that seemed to just sort of come and go and of course like you know in the early 90s now everyone knows Optimus Prime and Soundwave and all like these key characters it's, it's like nobody knows Wheelie old school yeah exactly it's like old school Star Trek those are the, yeah. the names that everyone knows so yeah because when we say yeah because when we say G1 we uh, most people mean like the first two seasons yeah. I mean technically you yeah. could include three and the six episodes that, that it comprised four but uh, uh, Headmasters they, yeah but yeah what they, well, no, those, those toys were so cool but, uh, oh they were cool but they were bloody expensive as well if yeah, I remember correctly quite, quite chunky things you'd always lose the heads on them as well but, yeah. but the thing is when you were a kid that age you can't get them yourself you have to ask for them for Christmases and birthdays so when I said please 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 can I have Optimus Prime he wasn't available. You could not get him. The closest they could get was Ultra Magnus. And that was thrilling. But I really wanted Optimus Prime. P.S. Mm-hmm. Mission accomplished. Got him later on. <laughs> I have, I still to this day, I have a major, major regret. A few, few years ago, I was uh, caught in a dilemma in a Toys R Us. Oh, yeah. I had 50 quid to my name. And you could get the old school Optimus Prime or the 25th anniversary one. Oh, I could get a really massive Optimus Prime yeah. from G1 or Guitar Hero. Ooh. Oh, you fool. Which did you get? I chose Guitar Hero. Oh, no. Something you could pick up for just a few quid now. Yeah. And you should have got Rock Band instead. Yeah. No, no, I'm talking Guitar <laughs> Hero oh, one yeah, yeah. <laughs> for the PS2. And that first came out, I'd heard, and we'd spent a year hearing about it, and it's like, oh, okay, I've got to have oh, this. Yeah. But- Why, that was one of the most, the ten most important games of that generation. <laughs> Should have bought Ryan. <laughs> so anyway, uh, any idea, Ryan, why this Autobot City isn't Metroplex? Um, I get the impression that Metroplex hadn't been released yet. Oh yeah, I think that's the possibility. Because he, he if, came if, out if, really if, late. If, if I'm right, I think it's Headmasters or when it went all Japanese. So when the when the Western series finished, I think when it just carried on in Japan, that was when Metroplex and Co appeared. If I'm right, right at the end of the fourth season. You've got Scorponok against Metroplex, yeah. maybe. Yeah. I believe that's when those sets were introduced. So it was like when, this, when the series in America was dying and they were releasing the last set of toys before it really went quiet. I think those mm-hmm. were the large sets that you could get. So uh, Autobot City was just like a generic tan orange uh, base for them to live in, really. Yeah. It transformed into like a, a fortress from uh, a, a shopping mall or whatever it was beforehand. 
But yeah. the the Japanese got completely different animated shows to uh, the uh, the West. Uh, they 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 took the same principle um, theme, but went completely different with it. Uh, they rather than the movie, which they didn't get until 1990, there was a single episode called Scramble City, which kind of amalgamated a couple of episodes with uh, uh, Arrival from Cybertron, the first one, and the bit where the Stunticons fight the aerial the bots. aerial bots, and then. No, that, right, we've had enough of that. Those because the Japanese love their combining robots, and then uh, Metroplex turns up and goes, "I'm the biggest robot." And then the Decepticons go, "Oh yeah, what about Tripticon, a robot mecha Godzilla?" What's going to happen here? Tune in next week, folks. That's what they got instead of the Transformers <laughs> movie. They got shortchanged. Also, very little actual characterization in, in that episode that I, I watched. I've watched a couple of other Japanese ones, and they, again, they seem to be very light on the actual drama and very heavy on the action. Is it Takara where they completely changed Grimlock so he doesn't talk, <laughs> speak or talk like Grimlock should? That was why I'm I sorry. asked you to get me that DVD. It's the one where Grimlock turns up and goes, You look familiar. Where have I seen you before? And he's speaking like with this really fast <laughs> tone. It's like... What the? Just, like, how could you extrapolate that from like, the caveman speaking Western version? Me, me Grimlock. Me, King. The pretty old Grimlock story. Who almost steals the show in this film. He he manages to retain some, like, even though he's from the old school, like, he's maybe second only to Prime and Megatron uh, and, and maybe Unicron in terms of, like, making a mark. He makes more of a mark than Hot Rod. If they'd said, right, the new Autobot leader is Grimlock, I'd have gone, yep. And that, yeah, let's go with that. Let's go with that. Be fine, <laughs> but uh, but no, they went for the the uh, the, the, the virtuous the new, guy. new guy. But that no one liked. But yeah, I mean, uh, again, haven't seen Transformers Four, might not. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and guess that the Grimlock in that is not going to speak like this Grimlock. I no, hope. He, I don't know, Michael Bay, possibly, probably could. I've heard a YouTube video where he just goes, "I will smash." I will destroy. I will crush the Decepticons. Dinobots transform. I'm ready for anything. One will survive. Attack. No. We attack. <laughs> I'm sorry, but yeah. I think that is it, the because Grimlock talks in that caveman esque speak. That is why he is enjoyable because he's just, yeah. he's dumb, strong, and he's a lovable he's, idiot. He's a, yeah. yeah, yeah, Hulk. He's a big, fun, destructive kid. Me, Grimlock, positive, hot rod, and cop close. Me, Slag, say you full of viridium baloney! Me, Grimlock, say you full of cesium salami! How come the Dinobots have a cultural familiarity with deli meats? Little bits like where he gets stung on the nose by Wheelie in his stupid slingshot, and he's like, My boy hit my nose! Oh, he's a big softy, really. He just pretends to be a great big smashy thing. So, yeah, I, uh, Grimlock, thumbs up. I, I'd like a Transformers animated Grimlock, please. <laughs> That's the best one. Um, except, of course, for the Masterpiece one. My God, some of those Masterpiece ones are bank balance cripplingly awesome. They are amazing. 
I, I must say, right, the, at work at the moment, we've come across a, a website, and I believe it's, it, it's basically linked to these Chinese knockoff transformers, mm-hmm. which are, re, which are released for about between 20 and 30 pounds, mm-hmm. um, and they are, you know, uh, copies of the original boxes or, or the original toys. They're not exactly perfect. You know, they're, they're fairly brittle, but they're okay for display. I've yeah. got, uh, yeah. Grimlock on the way at the moment, and that's coming into work at the moment. But like, how much does that set you back? That was about 30 pounds. Yeah. Versus so how I much mean, you pay for originals on eBay. Oh my god. An awful lot of money. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Or masterpiece uh, ones where it's just, yeah, give up now. Yeah, mortgage the house. All your money. That's right. Yeah, so, I mean, th- th- one of the things was, one of the guys bought an Optimus Prime, um, and because, like, you and me, Alex, and maybe you, Neil, as well, we've got, like, the G1 reissues of Prime there, so you can sort of compare. Yeah. And comparing my, like, official Hasbro one to his knockoff, it's about it's about 90% of the way there. It's There's, there's very, very little that you would, you know, notice the differences, really. So I'm quite impressed with the, the, these fancy knockoffs that are coming from Japan at the moment. But uh, we'll see. I'll get I'll get Grimlock in the post in a few weeks, and we'll, uh, we'll uh, see how that turns out. I've got my eye on a knockout knockoff masterpiece <laughs> sideswipe right now, which is 20 quid as opposed to, like, 50 quid. So, uh Oh, we'll is that the correct me if I'm wrong? Is that one of the Lamborghini guys? Lambo. Okay, uh, I think yeah. One of my workmates has ordered that, and that's on. That's coming in the same box. So uh, I'll let you know if that one turns yeah, up. Yeah, do tell a, actually. <laughs> so if it turns up and it's just a flappy bit of crappy plastic, then uh, yeah, I won't be pleased. Yeah. One shall stand. One shall fall. Why throw away your life so recklessly? That's a question you should ask yourself, Megatron. No! I'll crush you with my bare hands! Now we've come up to the bit which is the centerpiece of the movie. Basically everything after this is just rearranging deck chairs. Uh, the battle between Prime and Megatron, something you'd really... Uh, it's not like, like the first time it ever happened. Like in the uh, the first miniseries, they fought on top of the dam with the old laser axe and laser morning star. But um, but this one's the, the fatal one. This one's the one where they really put everything into it. With the, It's got some uh, some of this cracking animation we mentioned earlier and they really just like... One shall stand, one shall fall. They they go at it basically at this point, and it, it just seems like that something's happened in this past twenty years where they've both gone right. Enough of this bloodless war. Let's just call it off, and we will. Yeah, this is just going to be done here. And um, it's not not too much to talk about. It's a it's a brutal fight, and uh, because of Hot Rod's bumbling, Prime gets shot repeatedly in the chest. Yes, the, the, that was one of the things as well. Originally in the script, I think uh, Hot Rod for the entirety of the movie was supposed to feel gutted and uh, guilty for this. But yeah, that would have been end, some characterization. He gets over it. He gets over it within about five minutes, yep. and he's like, "Oh, okay, let's go." <laughs> he should have been brooding, going, "If it, if only I hadn't gotten in the way, and basically I felt so powerless when Megatron was holding me as a hostage." I don't ever yeah. want to feel like that again and let people down so much and, and, and allow people to get killed as a result. But, nah. Similarly, again, Ultra the, Magnus is, is filled with self-doubt. They could have explored that. Didn't. Yeah, he was just a bit 
useless. <laughs> Although voiced by Robert Stack, who I do like, and is now, uh, as with most of the Transformers cast, sadly no longer with us. Yeah. Casey Kasem died the other week, so uh, he was he voiced whom? Um, oh God, um, the red red jumper car. What's he called? Red jumper. Ah, red jumper. There we go. Yeah. Red jumpy car. <laughs> do you know? It's, do you know why? It jumps and it's red. Ah. Do you know why <laughs> he uh, pulled out of Transformers? Um, I can only guess because of his. His age, or his, uh, he just didn't believe that he could put in the same performance anymore? Nah. Um, it was uh, actually to do with uh, what he perceived to be uh, really racially ignorant um, writing. One of the um, scenarios, is, I believe in the third season, an Arabic nation called Karbomya. Oh, God. Yeah. Wow. The Socialist Democratic Federated Republic of Karbomia is a kingdom located in the Sahara Desert region of the continent of Africa on the planet Earth. A veteran voice actor Casey Kasem himself of Lebanese descent and Drew's heritage, who was supposed to provide Teletron 1's voice in Thief in the Night, which was primarily set in Karbomia, he called for a change in the portrayal of Arab characters in that episode, and when no change had been made, he quit the show. Kasem's sudden departure required the replacement of Teletron 1 with Teletron 2, voiced by Frank Welker, who was pretty much doing every other Decepticon. In addition, the Autobots, Cliff Jumper, and Blue Streak, both voiced by Kasem and survivors of the Transformers movie, were retired from the series. So even though Cliff Jumper made it through the movie because of these uh, social issues and, and Kasem sticking to his guns, and damn right to do so, because that is oh, yeah. fucking depressingly stupid. Yeah, Cliff Jumper was basically taken out of action. So, yeah. <laughs> There's a, uh, again, if we're going to look at um, some of the uh, the more sensitive sides of this and, and sort of take it apart, the, the, the difference between the way the Autobots and the Decepticons treat their wounded and dying. Um, Sharon, you've been silent for goddamn ever. Do you want to give us the lowdown on this? Well, to be fair, my area of expertise tends to be character and narrative, of which there's not a great deal. Um, <laughs> there's a teeny tiny, there's a, there's a teeny bit. tiny. If you squint and you pause, you can, but if you're a squint, there's still more in this than there is in any of the Michael Bay ones. To be fair, that is very true, and the Michael the Bay ones point, are three yes. times as long per film. Indeed, <laughs> um, but no, I mean this is basically when I was watching this, I'm like I'm combing it for any any semblance of, of something that I can wildly over interpret and over read and, and analyze um, but uh, the the delineations of, of good and evil between the Autobots and the Decepticons I actually found really interesting because it's it, it's a very black and white concept that you have your good guys and your bad guys but normally, when you look at something like, uh, oh God, what's an example? Right, G.I. Joe, and I will admit at this point that I don't know the ins and outs of G.I. Joe particularly well, um, but there seems to be sort of a, a, a very brutal military structure of what constitutes good and evil in that these are the good guys because we say so and these are the evil guys because we say so. But if you look at the differences between their behaviour, it's not all that wide a chasm. Um, but with the Autobots and the Decepticons, the woundings of Optimus Prime and Megatron kind of epitomised how 
they're set up because Optimus Prime, everybody immediately rallies round him. Um, you know, they're, they're all trying to help. They all want to support. They all want him to, to heal and they're all doing what they can to, um, to make him better, even though it's very obvious that that's not going to happen. Megatron, however, gets a boot put in his ribs, and at the first available opportunity, somebody chucks him off the ship. So Dude, it's, it's Starscream. That was going to happen. Star- Starscream, thank you. Yeah. Well, that's true. Starscream's but been he, plotting his takeover. Yeah, his takeover. He calls himself his, Lord Starscream. His, in, uh, yeah. Yeah. He was um, in charge of the Decepticons for all of. Ten sec, no, three <laughs> seconds. I think. Yeah, he has himself. But he got shot. his, he got his, he got his time in the sun. He gets a lot more it, in Prime. It gets yeah. better. He comes back as a ghost at one point. How could a yeah. robot be a ghost? Oh, that was an amazing episode. Have you I know that. Heard of the ghost in the machine? I know that anyway. But uh, yeah, also Prime was going to be a zombie. <laughs> The rage zombie. Oh, oh God, the rage plague. Oh, God. Sharon, you were yeah, talking that about... A, that was that was amazing. That was the end of the third series, wasn't it, I think? It was amazing. Yeah. Sharon, you were talking about how the Decepticons, all whom, all of whom pile into Astro Train's ass, <laughs> then bicker. Oh, and it even that, has room for Devastator in there. Right, that was such a facepalm moment, though, just, just sidestepping the, the narrative part. Right. Astro train. You you hear the term astro train. You think long, sleek bullet, yeah, train, bullet train. You know, two hundred miles an hour, fast route from London to Birmingham. What you don't think is the Hogwarts Express that can fly, <laughs> which is what he is. Oh, he's awesome. Leave him alone. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not. I'm not attacking him. I just found the idea that you would design a train that could move through space and then make it an 1850s steam locomotive. Oh, yeah, cool. yeah. Have, have a look at have a look at the toy on the internet. I'm just yeah, I've got it in my. Yeah, I've got like a fancy glass case. Oh, it's so so cool! Really good triple changer toy. Is that something that Doc Brown would help design. Anyway, you were saying. Um, so yeah, the. The fact if it, make, the if it helps, uh, by the way, a later Voyager version of him was actually a bullet train, Sharon. So he looks a lot sleeker. Oh, okay. So there we go. They did update yeah. him. Um, but yeah, the, the fact that the Decepticons are basically all utterly, utterly horrible to each other and they're all out for what they personally can get. There's very little in the way of teamwork. Um, any successes that they have seem to be almost accidental. I can't remember what I was saying. No I think one I'd calls finished. Soundwave unchrasmatic. <laughs> I was it was like how how vile they are to one another yeah. and really you know they're all out just to get a lot of uh, energy on and uh, that's it really. it's amazing they even managed to stay together long enough to actually form a decent fighting force up against the Autobots because they're, they're so self-destructively um, petulant with one another I think ultimately though that comes down to the uh, chrasmatism that um, Megatron possesses and the the ability to at least make everybody scared of him enough to do what he says yeah. to point them all in the same direction which if you think about it is essentially what a gun is it's a it's a, a something you put at the front in order to point your destructive force in the right way or if you're the um, x-men and, cyclops well indeed yeah. and the yeah, fact but no one likes that cyclops. <laughs> so megatron is much more popular than cyclops yeah. that's what you said yeah um, but the fact that in order to maintain the Decepticons um, community, if you like, they couldn't 
have a successor to Megatron. There, there wasn't a suitable replacement to come along and, and take that role. Uh, they basically had to shine Megatron up a bit and send him back. As Leonard Nimoy. Yes. Yeah. Which admittedly is hella shiny. Yeah, I mean, uh, Leonard Nimoy is, oh, there you go, there's your Spock in the movie. Yeah, literally. <laughs> well, I thought that's what you were referring to when you said it. <laughs> I had, I Angry Spock, though. So yeah, basically, Rage if, if, if Leonard Nimoy had grumpily been forced to hang around with Cup and Hot Rod, that would have made it a much, that actually <laughs> would have made it a better movie. Much more, like, charged. Can I? Can I also point out that it has Leonard Nimoy in it, and they don't do a Star Trek reference at all. Oh, no, I'm glad they didn't do that. More importantly, they don't butcher a Star Trek reference. Yes. That's right. They don't, yeah, drag it through the dirt. Yeah. Did they do that in the new the third movie? They did mention it. Yeah, it was like every five minutes when everybody's on screen, let's try and think of something that he could say that's Star a Trek spot reference. The big one being the needs of the many. Oh, how dare you invoke that during this film? Well, as if <clears> I say nothing. Never say that. The needs of me outweigh everybody else around. Yeah. Frankly. Anyway, um, but Megatron is as he, is technically a classic villain. He's not complex at all. But it, it, for your base level, like real, just power hungry, totally ruthless. You know, scary insofar as what he will do to get ahead. He's he's a, a good, memorable, base-level villain. Galvatron, kind of just a variation on that. I think he's just a mentally ill uh, version of Megatron who's got major issues. Yeah. So he's ramped up a little bit more, isn't he? He's a bit more vicious. I guess I even more say, Megatron is so together. He has less patience clear. than Megatron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but at least he's it's not real. I was going to say, he's probably a little bit smarter than Megatron, because the first thing he does is kill Starscream. Yeah. Well, that, that's the thing. Megatron was like, you know, I'll play the long game with this guy, because he might be quite useful to me. Galvatron's like, I played the long game. Didn't work out too well for me. So, off you go. Um, that, that was originally going to be a completely different scenario, where, um, the, you know those gold statues in that room mm. uh, during the coronation? They, they were, there was going to be a big fight there, not in Astro Train's backside, uh, and they were going to get smashed, and all of the sparks of previous Decepticon leaders were going to emerge and go out into space and Megatron was going to die, his spark was going to emerge and he was going to basically sort of lead the the tip of the spear of all of this angry energy, reach Unicron and then Unicron was going to turn all of those sparks into Galvatron. Now that would have been more interesting. Yeah. yeah. That would have been quite good actually. So basically Very cool idea. Megatron's like the dominant personality but it's kind of like this really old evil, was it Vatu or Vati anti-Avatar force? Vatu. Because if you look into it, the Matrix of Leadership was originally not going to be there either. It was going to be that uh, Optimus had host sort of a, a, a force within him that wasn't actually within a, 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 a contraption that played host to all the Autobot leaders. So basically, it was the Avatar spirit in Optimus, which he then passes to Ultra Magnus and then goes on to uh, uh, Rodimus Prime. See, why don't they do things like this? Because easier. It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. it sounds too, too hard to explain to an eight-year-old child. I think they just they greatly simplified a lot of the stuff that happened in the script, especially in the, uh, the second and third acts. The thing is, though, what 
what they're missing is that you don't have to explain it all to an eight-year-old child. You just put it in there and the kids will take what they want to take from it. Mm. And to be fair, it usually takes someone to actually sh- do it and show them that it can be done for them to go, oh, wait, it can be done? You know, Avatar, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I suppose they could have worried, oh, if we talk about all this, it's, all the parents are going to start rolling their eyes and going, well, this is all bollocks. There's no way you can escape that. If I'd been a parent watching this, the average stuffy parent in the 80s, not the cool parents, if any of you like Josh had cool parents, um, then I'd just have been like, oh, when is this film going to finish so I can go home and watch Brookside? <laughs> not landing as well. Or Emmerdale Farm. <laughs> See, I just had, I, I just watched Aliens with my well, mum and young stuff like that, so. Wait, your mum's cool. <laughs> See, there you go, you've had a cool But yeah, no, I do, the I'm average cool parent is not gonna be delighted by this film. They're gonna be uh, just annoyed by this film. Because it's making all of that money that you spent on the different robots in the past couple of years worthless, cause now suddenly little Timmy wants Springer and blur, and cut. But that's not really changed. We always will have the new hot Absolutely, yeah. This is this is kind of just sort of precipitating what's going to be happening for the next 20, 30 years. That ain't changing anytime soon. Oh, yeah. So uh, it, it's almost a double-edged sword. You take your kid to see this film he's so desperate to see, suddenly then you've got to get the toys as well. Precisely. Yeah. Lyra's a lucky girl. Because... <laughs> I'm the one dragging her ass to these films. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. After the, the sort of the kids shows that got films, I think Transformers is probably one of the better ones. Yeah. Just, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, Joe wasn't very good. Care Bears, Care Bears wasn't very good. Yeah. My Little Pony wasn't very good. The G- yes, I have seen that. The GI Joe movie was a bit bollocks actually in comparison to this. It kept going. It, it went to Cobra La and this sort of mystical group of snake people. Yeah, like that. yeah, that's 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 when people said that it jumped the shark. Yeah, jumped the snake. That's when like it went from yeah, exactly jumped the snake with that show. Whereas yeah. I think really with Transformers, with this film, if you're thinking all nostalgic about a cartoon from the eighties, just all you have to do really is watch this film and you get everything you yeah. want from it. It's epic and enough in you, scale, yeah. Yeah, and if you want more, then you can go out and buy, you know, or watch some of the really, really old cartoons if you're really that fussed. But uh, I think it's a really, really good package. Christopher Collins, who uh, voiced Cobra Commander, of course, also voiced. <laughs> he also voiced. Oh, Starscream. Starscream. Oh, right, there's yeah, the of link. Course. Cobra! Ah. Uh, I mentioned before that Duke was going to die in Transformers after. It was still in production when this film came out. After all, the kids shat themselves with rage and fear after Optimus died. And Hasbro looked at their prediction sheets and it was like, I don't know, kids aren't going to be buying Ultra Magnus in anywhere near as many droves as we expected. They went, right, don't kill Duke. Well, he's dead. We've kind of written him out of the movie. He's dead. Put a line in about him coming out of a coma at the end. That's right. And that's what they did. I fear the wounds are fatal. You can't die. Do not grieve. Soon I shall be one with the Matrix. Prime. Uh, 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 Ultra Magnus. It, it is to you, old friend. I shall pass the Matrix of Leadership as it was passed to me. But Prime. I'm... I'm just a soldier. I... I'm not worthy. 
Nor was I. But one day, an Autobot shall rise from our ranks and use the power of the Matrix to light our darkest hour. Until that day, till all are one. So yeah, Megatron meets Unicron. Awesome Wells may not have given a shit about this film. May have been boggled by it and gone, I have no idea what's going on. May not really have known exactly what he was doing and died five days after he delivered his lines. Uh, you know. He didn't deliver all of them because some of them are actually really? Leonard Nimoy. Oh, Jesus. Okay, right. Yeah, so he delivered what yeah, lines yeah. he was able to. Uh, but... And ultimately, he still delivers massive amounts of, appropriately enough, gravity to the voice of a living planet. He did and always has done, had an awesome voice. Yes. It is one of those, you know, there's certain actors that just have a voice. Yeah. And it is, no matter what you hear, it, it, he always adds just that life or that something to it. And, and him in, in this film, he, he has the perfect voice for being a planet. You know, the, the fact that maybe towards the end of his life he was about the dimensions of a small moon. <laughs> and was also yes. notoriously difficult to work with. We know a remote farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July, peas grow there. Do you really mean that? Uh, yeah, so in other words, I'd, I'd start half a second late. Don't you think you really want to say July over the snow? Isn't that the fun of it? It's, it, if you can make it almost when that shot disappears, it'll make my... I think it's so nice that, that you see... A snow-covered field and say every July peas grow there. I don't understand you, then. When must, what must be over for July? Um, when we get out of that snowy field. When I was out, we were onto a can of peas, a big dish of peas when I said in July. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, always. I'm always past that. You are? Yes. Well, that's about where I say in July. Can you emphasize a bit in, in July? Why? That doesn't make any sense. Sorry. Um, There's no known way of saying an English sentence in which you begin a sentence with in and emphasize it. Get me a jury and show me how you can say in July and I'll go down on you. That's just idiotic if you'll forgive me by saying so. That's just stupid. In July. I'd love to know how you emphasize in and in July. Impossible. Meaningless. I think all they were thinking about was that they didn't want to... He isn't thinking. 
Well, St. Clement just to one last Yeah. Week, and it was my fault. I, should, I said in July, if you can leave every July. You didn't say it. He said it. Your friend. Norway. Fish fingers, no, Findus, Norway. We know a certain fjord in Norway, near where the cod gather in great shoals. There, Janst Stangeland. A fraction more on the on that shoals thing, because you roll it around very nicely. Yeah, roll it around, and I have no more time. You don't know what I'm up against. Because it's full of, of, of things that are only correct because they're grammatical, but they're tough on the ear. You see, this is a very wearying one. It's unpleasant to read. Unrewarding. Because Findus freeze the cod at sea and then add a crumb crisp, ooh, crumb crisp coating. Ah, that's tough, crumb crisp coating. I think, no, because of the way it's written, you need to break it up because it's not, it's not as conversationally written. What? Take crumb, out. Take crumb out. We know a little place in the American far west where Charlie Briggs chops up the finest prairie-fed beef and tastes... This is a lot of shit, you know that. I wouldn't direct any living actor like this in Shakespeare. Well, you do this, it's impossible. Orson, you did six last year, and by far and away the best, and I know the, the reason... The right reading for this is the one I'm giving it. At the moment. I spent 20 times more for you people than any other commercial I've ever made. You are such pests... Now, what is it you want no, I think in your depths of your ignorance? What is it you want? Whatever it is you want, I can't deliver because I just don't see it. That was absolutely fine. It really was. You, you, no money is worth it. This led to a cruelly observed but right on the money recurring skit in the TV show The Critic, which I suggest you guys all check out. A rich, full-bodied wine sensibly priced at a dollar a jug. Now, for a little magic, I will make this jug disappear. Rosebud. Yes, rosebud frozen peas. Full of country goodness and green penis. Wait, that's terrible. I quit. Just a handful for the road. Oh, what luck. There's a French fry stuck in my beard. Oh, yeah. And remember, there is no fish stick like Mrs. Pell's. This isn't a commercial. I know. That was just a declaration of love. Yes. Oh, yes. They're even better raw. It's a sign. They're alive. Yes, they're alive. But I have gone to a better place. A place filled with Mrs. Pell's fish sticks. Yes. Oh, yes. They're even better when you're dead. How about the French champagne advert? Oh, he was having none of that. <laughs> um, oh, the French champagne. The, the, the only person I know that was apparently uh, even worse to work with when they decided to have a strop was Marlon Brando. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> apparently during the Island of Dr. Monroe, he actually refused to learn the script <laughs> and insisted on that. This is best. Insisted on having an earpiece. and they fed uh, in the uh, lines. In the lines, up until the point, apparently the best bit was apparently somehow the earpiece got switched to a local baseball game, and he started reading baseball results. Yeah, oh, for... <laughs> that is a literal phoned-in performance. My God, 
Anyway, um, do you know the first person that I immediately thought of who has a similarly uh, gravitas-laden voice that I think will be really, really good for, for doing uh, a similar Unicron-style work? I thought Hugo Weaving. And then I remembered, he's bloody Megatron. And he phones in his performance and is rubbish as Megatron. But then again, he has nothing to say. He goes, I am Megatron. He has nothing, <laughs> he has nothing to work with, basically, yeah. no. Welcome, Megatron. said that I am Unicron show yourself I have summoned you here for a purpose nobody summons Megatron then it pleases me to be the first state your business this is my command you are to destroy the Autobot Matrix of Leadership. It is the one thing, the only thing, that can stand in my way. You have nothing to fear. I have already crushed Optimus Prime with my bare hands. You exaggerate. The point is he's dead, and the Matrix died with him. No, the point is you are a fool. The Matrix has been passed to their new leader, Ultra Magnus. Destroy it for me. Why should I? What's in it for me? Your bargaining posture is highly dubious, but very well. I will provide you with a new body and new troops to command. And? And nothing. You belong to me now. I belong to nobody! Perhaps I misjudged you. Proceed on your way to oblivion. No! No! I accept your terms! I accept! Excellent. Megatron meets uh, 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 Unicron, and it, it is again kind of awesome to see him transformed into Galvatron, even as an adult. It's it's kind of a moving on moment. You feel less like you're losing something in that regard because I believe Frank Welker carried on voicing Galvatron for season three, didn't he? Galvatron, and these shall be your minions. Scourge. The Tracker. And his huntsman, the Sweeps. Cyclonus, the warrior, and his armada. And this shall be your ship. Now go. Destroy the Autobot Matrix. I will rip open Ultra Magnus and every other Autobot until the Matrix has been destroyed. To Cybertron! Destroy the Matrix. That's right, yeah. He, 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 basically, it's like Megatron 
after a meltdown, yeah. basically. He's just lost his mind and gone really mad and really, really, really angry all the time. Yeah. Well, like he wasn't mad all the time. I suppose he, he, he would gloat more as Megatron. But, uh, yeah, as, as Galvatron, he's just a lot more aggressive, I suppose. Anyway, so Starscream's coronation gets crashed. Galvatron kills him. Then we go off to various different planets. There's a whole load of stuff about, um, you know, wh- where the Transformers go. One thing I'm going to ask, actually, um, Ryan and Neil, being big fans, why do the Autobots crash land on Earth and then stay there for four million years? Why was that so crucial to their story? You mean when they were knocked out? In the first cartoon, yeah. In the first episode. They were not, cartoon. they were not, it, it was just basically an excuse for them to stay there through all the various periods and then when they woke up it was like, okay, what form can we take? Alright, let's, let's look around the local environment and see planes, cars, you know, this, that and the other, just basically to turn them into. Okay, stuff. but could they not just have crashed on Earth and then done that? Um, they were unconscious for millions of years with Neil, is that right? Yeah, yeah they, they basically crashed on Earth sort of around the time that dinosaurs were just before. Yeah, I know, why? Once long ago, a race of robot beings called Autobots were forced to wage war against another race of robots called Decepticons to bring peace back to their home planet of Cybertron. As the war went on, chance brought both sides to Earth. They crashed so violently on landing that all the robots lay in the Earth's crust, seemingly without life, for over four million years. Suddenly, the energy set in motion by a powerful volcanic eruption gives them life once more. And the war starts all over again here on Earth. The Autobots have to defend themselves. They have to protect this planet of Earth with all its valuable resources and the people who live here. And they must also build a new spaceship if they are to get back to Cybertron. The Transformers. Autobots lightning strike. Because uh, plot. I think the I think the volcano like the, the four million years. All it does is make you go, Well what the hell happened on Cybertron for four million years uh, with Shockwave sitting at a computer panel going Still nothing No, he's probably running the place going, Oh, peace and quiet Imagine finally. How different Cybertron should be when they get back to it. Who's on that planet? Oh, there's, lo- there's loads of... Apparently, there's loads of Transformers running around there. Imagine! There's even, there's even female uh, Transformers uh, winding Shockwave up, if I remember, like bullying him. Imagine a caveman <laughs> coming back to this time and going, right, let's continue this war between Cro-Magnon and uh, Neanderthals. Yeah, we'll continue yeah, that so. war. I know that wasn't four million years ago. It was a lot uh, more recent. But that's the thing. That's the point. That's the time scale. How irrelevant is the war of these, like, 14 Autobots and 12 Decepticons four million years later now? That was That's the only thing which, even growing up, I was like, why is it four million years? We don't know. It, it's a cartoon. <laughs> again, that's the only answer, really. But yeah. Basically, if, if they came off the planet four years ago... And then crash landed on Earth, and like they don't know what's happening back at Cybertron because I, I, years have passed. Well, that's in, think, think about it. Like civilization would have found them straight away, then, wouldn't they? But, but but they don't have to crash on Earth. They could just land on Earth and immediately go into disguise. 
like I, I don't know, just like top of my head, um, the Michael Bay films. Like they they actually get that. I mean, kind of more right in terms of what makes sense. Um, True, but they didn't exactly land subtly either. Well, they're not very much in yeah. disguise either because they come out straight away and say, "We are Transformers. Deal with it." <laughs> kind of negates the need for them to transform, or be, really. It, but that's another that thing. I mean, basically, after a certain amount of time, why transform at all? At least... You could do more as robots. they don't go and insert themselves into the bodies of poor, unsuspecting animals. Oh, God. Oh, you mean Beast Wars? That confused me in ways I can't even describe. Oh, trust me, Beast Wars is famous for at least having one of the best twists going. Yeah. Because Beast Wars, towards the end, is actually linked to G1. Okay, um, do they, like, come across the, the, the arc? Kind of, yeah. Oh, man. I mean, you could probably spoil Beast Wars now. That's that's not really going to... like. The, the I, I, I can't, of... because I, I even I, get, I tried to watch Beast Wars, but because it's CG animation and it's... The most early Beast Wars. It's, it's very, very hard to actually try and watch, yeah. or I, I struggled to watch it, but there's a twist where... They actually discover the Ark, mm. but, and they have stuff. And they, act, I think, they accidentally wake up Megatron. Oh, right. So you have you have two Megatrons, and yeah, it gets uh, put him back, put him back. Can I can I put, add a side note? There was a there was a guy I used to work with in Scotland. He was from Canada, I think, mm. and he he worked on that show years ago and reboot as well. Oh yeah, I remember reboot. Yeah, those those really really early CG cartoons. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, back to back to proper Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the point Sharon was making was why make yourself look like leopards and uh, Tyrannosaurus Rexes so as not to upset the indigenous population? To, to sell toys. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That will always be the answer. <laughs> That's right. When we're talking about Transformers. Why did they make the Ewoks to sell toys? Yeah, and it was cheaper to make short ones than make Wookies. Anyway, <sighs> what's to say about the rest of the film? Because basically, the, 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 all of the re- the important stuff is really in this first bit. Um, That's right. The, di- yeah, the, the Dinobots meet Wheelie, and you say he's the Jar Jar Binks. Like he ruined the film. No, no. I mean, it's it's just he is that character, though, isn't he? Really, he just turns like, up on pitch voice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just like okay, you're gonna hit you you're gonna be here just to be the exciting new toy that all the kids are supposed to like but no one really likes it all it just doesn't click with anyone yeah you see uh, you have the four million years question i have the question of when we meet wheelie he has the autobot logo on him <gasps> why oh, yeah. that is a fine point that is a very fine point well the autobots are spread all like okay history lesson they've all been spread about the the universe for millions of years that's probably an explanation as well and some of them have lost their memories and don't know who they are and where they are what? blah blah i suppose wheelie <laughs> could be like um um the winter soldier <laughs> <laughs> exactly like that yeah he comes back years later doesn't know who he is. Yeah, four million years kid. later. <laughs> God's sake. That four million years basically buggers everything because, like, that means that, I mean, is it, is it four million years in prime, Neil? I've, I, it's been a while. No, no, I, they, they don't do the whole art crash. It, they just sort of are already there. Yeah, because that makes sense. 
Oh. Uh, they're just there. It's just, it's kind of the thing is you, cause you're seeing it from the kid's point of view, yeah. you don't get the whole arrival of the Transformers kind of oh. thing. So that kind of helps. Another good thing about Prime, they actually try to stay in disguise. They try to really stay like under the radar and they don't announce themselves to the American government in the world. They, they, they stay secret, at least as far as I've seen so far. Well, the American government knows. Oh, okay, right. It's so yeah, they, weird. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of weird. I don't know how much it takes from the because it takes from everything. It's it's kind of because you don't really get that explanation of when they first turned up. You just sort of go with it, kind of thing. But it's it's never one that I ever thought was much of a problem in Prime because you just sort of get lost in the stories because a lot of the stories are from sort of the kids' point of view yeah. more than anything. And if you want decent RC material, Prime. That's yes. that's where she's. Uh, she is actually my favourite character from Prime. Yeah, she's good. Um, okay, so yeah, the Dinobots meet Wheelie. Hot Rod and Cup get thrown to the Sharkticons. There's some guff about the uh, the Squintersons <laughs> being like like they're angry <laughs> that Squintersons. some people Ever. stole. So that they think the Autobots stole Cybertron or something, and you're guilty, but you're also innocent, depending on. Who wrote it? I don't know. Some stuff. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah, pretty much that. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so they're like guilty or innocent, innocent. But yeah, we're going to kill you anyway because you yeah. nicked our planet off us. Yeah. So, but, but you don't realise that you did that because it was millions of years ago or something like that. Yeah. Well, it's it, it's kind of a. It almost seems like it was sort of setting up possible future arcs for the uh, the, the ongoing series. So indeed, that, yeah, that sort of which it did, yeah. Um, and uh, then they go to Junkion and um, meet Retgar and Cohen, and you hear uh, the Dare to Be Stupid song. Ultra Magnus gets blown to smithereens! Yes! Or at least he gets blown into five easy pieces. And um, That's right. Initially, he was supposed to be uh, ripped apart. Jesus. So the, apparently the Scourge uh, ships fire like... Grappling this is hooks getting geeky now. Grappling hooks and pull him apart. Right. But apparently they deem that to be too violent, so they just shot him and blew him yes, apart right, anyway. Yeah. I suppose that you, yes. you can get in uh, uh, like uh, robots that explode into various bits into any kind of U-rated stuff. Um, it, it, it does, of course, raise the question of how come Prime died after being shot a few <laughs> times in the, in the chest, whereas Ultra Magnus was rendered into pieces, dismembered, and classically, symbolically, the removal of the head or destroying the brain is like, that's it. Um, <laughs> so Ultra Magnus is a vampire. I, when it comes down to it, you could possibly explain it by saying that even though they hadn't created the idea of the spark, which is like the life essence of the robots at that point, that basically Prime had whatever was holding that ruptured badly... And Ultra Magnus, it was still intact. Basically, his chest was still in one piece. So technically, you could remove... Oh, actually, I remember there was an episode where um, I think Prime got, like, bits of him... Like, like Prime got torn apart or something uh, in Season 2. And they go to find his bits, and they find, like, an arm attached to the wall. And it's like I a, know it was uh, Megatron had uh, stolen his arm yeah. and his gun yeah. and stuck it on this tower oh, and arm. used it as a defensive tower. Yeah, well, he doesn't get his head torn off. And it, no, he. I think there were parts of him like they they strapped part of his body to an alligator and let it go through a sewer. As you do. So they were tracking an alligator through a sewer, which had Optimus Prime's body parts somehow. Yeah, it's a cartoon. <laughs> even for a cartoon I'm sat there going you know hearing you describe that even I'm going what the fuck was, what the, fuck? Was the alligator yeah. skull cruncher no no it was just an alligator <laughs> skull cruncher wasn't around there of course he was was he a headmaster 
Yeah. Oh, so much of this oh God, stuff. We know too much I've information. I've learned from, from uh, <laughs> just watching adverts and Target Masters. Back on Cybertron, the Autobots have created three new warriors. Cup, experienced in battle. Blur, he's fast. Hot Rod, he really lives up to his name. The Decepticons' days are numbered. Robots in disguise from Hasbro. What could be more terrifying than being Cup and Hot Rod stranded on an alien planet battling the merciless Sharpticons? Really, Separately from Hasbro. And more Autobots join Optimus Prime. Cup. Reminds me of the battle on Beta 4. Hot Rod. Watch my smoke. Blur. Now you see me. Now you don't. And these are the new Decepticons, the evil Cyclonus. I'm spoiling for a fight. And Scourge. No one escapes the sweep. But soon a new Autobot leader will arrive. Introducing Rodimus Prime. No one can take on the Decepticons like Rodimus Prime. Transformers. The Transformers, each sold separately from Hasbro. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a Tesla on Planet Junkie <laughs> on. Ultra Magnus gets destroyed and then put back together again and sort of humbly admits I probably am not that good a leader. And then we reconvene on, uh, on slash in Unicron. And, um, that's right. All, all, the, all the good guys that we know, including the Junkions, all get together and yeah. have a fight against Unicron, who's decided he's had enough of uh, telling uh, Galvatron what to do and just decides, yeah. right, I'm yeah. going to just eat all the Cybertron anyway because I'm sick of you. Other stuff that obviously would have gone into, would have been gone into if had this been released today, the origin of Unicron. Who is Unicron? They would have had someone explain that. They would have gone thousands of years ago. This is going to take a long time. So you may want to get some snacks. No, no, that's all right. I think I can wait for it. Thousands of years ago, before the dawn of man as we knew him, there was Sir Santa of Claws, an ape-like creature making crude and pointless toys out of dino bone and his own waste, hurling them at chimp-like creatures with crinkled hands. Well, that still doesn't tell me why. I'm not finished. You should have gotten a snack. He was born before science existed, so he arbitrarily placed his workshop right here, long before they unionized. And Christmas was celebrated at each full moon in front of the great red ape. Wait, 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 wait. Who, who unionized? Wouldn't you like to know? Probably your mama. As I understand it, Unicron was like a dark god, one of the earlier life forms in the galaxy. And there was another god called Primus. And blah de blah de blah they fought. And blah de blah Unicron became a planet who could what could then transform and Primus became Cybertron and all the Autobots and other Transformers subsequently learned to transform because of Unicron. So all of that stuff probably should have been in the film. But again, there was, there was, there was also like a a plan or a ploy and I think they used it in the third series. Mm -hmm. It was like, uh, Unicron wasn't actually going to be a transformer. It was going to be this little alien guy that was going to sit in the middle of the planet. Like Krang. And they were going to, 
Yeah, yeah like Shredder. Sort of yeah. I will have I think, Cybertron. <laughs> I think they had that in the third series or something a bit later on. So if I remember that rightly, it's like they fought this big monster thing and then they realised it was this little minion guy inside with that really high-pitched voice. It's, it's weird to think, actually, if this was made today, how different the same premise and plot of the film would be. Keep watching Prime. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. I'm gonna. Keep watching Prime. I will. You talk TV? You talk TV? Oh, oh, there's that point where he says that Junkie on Planet is sexy new import. Um, originally the whole planet was supposed to take off, where they turned that into just a spaceship. But again, that's um, the, the idea of, of two planets doing battle, that's um, th- this verges, verges on really cosmic sci-fi, which could actually have been really kind of mind-blowing. But again, they, they toned it down just for their audience, just so that they wouldn't like you know, lose you know, focus on the toys. You know what, if I could, I would take that original script and make that just to see how weird and wonderful yeah, it is. I would like <laughs> I just want to do that, just to see what the hell were they smoking. Yeah. It's not vastly different. There's, I mean, a lot of the main uh, elements are still there, but um, you could definitely get into that. And if I, th- I think as one of the extras on the DVD ROM uh, of the uh, DVD is uh, access to that script. So definitely worth checking out. Um, okay, so the final battle against Unicron and uh, the Arise Rodimus Prime bit. So Ro- Hot Rod's, he's down for the count, and, and Galvatron's like choking the life out of him. He's like, you little bitch. And Hot Rod goes, nah and then grabs the Matrix of Leadership, which he previously picked up and gave to Ultra Magnus. It was like, oh, this thing might be quite important in your future. And he pulls it apart, and he's like, this is the end of the road, Galvatron. That moment is, again, quite lovely. And I think I probably got... Hot, Hot Rod got quite a lot of goodwill from me for that. In this film, he you know by the end of this film, you have goodwill for him. Then season three happened. Yeah. Yeah. I, and he's just he's just a miserable guy <laughs> for the rest of it. It, it just doesn't work. Because, yeah, he, he's like Judd Nelson in that in the film. And then, of course, yeah, in the series, he's just an old guy. He's going, oh, man, why am I in charge? Oh, God, oh, why did Optimus die? Oh, blah, blah. He's just like, well, it was your fault, you stupid boy. Right, but... Uh, so that's all that like character arc stuff that should have happened in the movie with him reaching some sort of uh, understanding of you know what has to happen to move on. Ah well. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, all in all, it, you know, it's a, it's a good epic thrill ride of a film. Yep. Um, it looks always good and fresh, and it's pretty brutal in places. And uh, you know, it comes off, and you're thinking at the end, it ends quite quickly, doesn't it? It's like every, you know, yeah. a small like, ending at the end. These are the guys who survived this great big war, and. Uh, Onto the next load of toys, guys. Let's go. It's kind of a bleak ending because it sort of it pulls up and it goes till all are one, and there's about six of them on the entire planet Cybertron, which we have <laughs> no real clues in the film has any other population. Oh, hang on. When Unicorn attacked it, did other bots start going? Oh my god, we're going to die. Do we get any of those well, shots? A lot of them. Well, apparently Shockwave um, was supposed to die, but he dies off camera. All oh, right. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously there's lots of bad guys and stuff. It was like whatever. 
they uh, whatever excuse they wanted to do to get rid of the uh, the old toy lines and stuff and introduce all the new ones because as you know with ser- season three but four as well they're introducing a new toy pretty much every five to ten seconds. Jesus. And they only get one. Some of them only get one or two scenes each, don't they? Other than yeah. the the big headmaster characters. So, uh, but you, you could see like after after the film, like it was it was sort of like. Uh, Pokemon in the early 2000s or like late 90s, early 2000s, it was absolutely massive. All the kids were mad on it. All the you know they knew all the names of the toys, and then two years later they redo it again, and it sort of loses its depth a yeah. bit. And really, yeah. after a few years, it peters out. So I thought the film really marked the end of that big, massive. Well, I don't know. I mean, it was like that was when Transformers was at its biggest, and I think when the film came out, that was signalling the end of it, really. Yeah. Well, the end of season two was the, the the peak, so basically this culmination just before it started going into decline. And then um, what they kind of tried to backpedal. First off, they brought back Optimus Prime. Uh, then they also, like with the Pretender line, brought back the Pretender classics of Starscream, Bumblebee, and Grimlock as well. <sighs> yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, then was it Generation Two where they basically sort of like they republished the old Generation One shows, but with like cutting edge, by which I mean the most basic computer graphics rammed in there to sort of as interstitial moments. It was like the CG uh, Optimus Prime Horrible, look at to me. the kids. Oh, that was like you know. Let me tell you the story of the Transformers, Billy. Gee, Optimus, were you in a, a tight spot? Yes, we were. were in a car Billy. Crash? Prime, I don't have much time today. I'm working on a special project for school. What's it about? Prime, just tell me how you and the other Autobots got to Earth. Okay, Tommy. I've handled enough emergencies to know that some things just can't wait. <laughs> See, I remember, for me, G2 is actually the comic book, so yeah. I never saw that. Comic books kind least, of deserve a special mention, don't they? They do, because that's where you get the crossover. Yeah. The crossover between Transformers and G.I. Joe. Yeah. Uh, that was the, the oh. British comics, which are written differently to the American ones, and I think the uh, uh, they must have been writing the British G.I. Joe in the same build. Like, was it Action Force back in those? No, it's actually G.I. Joe. Oh, right. I have them somewhere. Okay. Um, By that point, we'd switched over to G.I. Joe. But yeah, uh, that's where Ga- uh, not, sorry, Megatron comes back, and he's the the camouflage tank. It's not my favourite crossover though. That one happened a few years ago, which was Transformers and the Avengers. Oh my god! It was actually <laughs> quite fun. I've read GI Joe Danger Girl. Hmm. Honestly, do you think that there could be maybe at at some point Transformers GI Joe? Ninja Turtles movie crossover because Paramount's uh, controlling all of them. I could see them probably doing G.I. Joe and Transformers. I don't know about Ninja Turtles. Mind you, I have a horrible feeling the more likely one will be Ninja Turtles and Transformers because yeah. they're both Bay. And the troubling thing is that new Trans- Turtles trailer looks really, makes the film look really good. Does I'm it? falling for it. I'm falling for it again. I went the exact opposite way. I just watched him and ugh, so oh, I've yet to see it yet. There's something. Uh, there's something. I mean, with Transformers for me, it's G1 or nothing really. Um, the other stuff I'll have a look at, but I don't normally have much of an interest in. But Turtles, whenever they release something new, I have to stick my nose in and have a real look. <laughs> I really did. So it's like the new series, you know. I've yeah. loved to get a couple of the toys here and there, 
the new movie, I've got to go and see that. No matter how terrible it is, I've got to go and see well, that. Look at it this way. There's no... Well, maybe. Uh, I, I'm tempting fate by saying this, but there's no way it can be worse than Turtles 3, surely. No, no. It actually, no it'll definitely be it's a physical that. impossibility. <laughs> but yeah. still, I don't know. Um, I mean, you're the one who hates the Transformers films, Neil. Actually, I know. on that note, Ryan, you're, unless you're going to be here for the the, the Bay films... Do you, I mean, do you wanna? Are you even able? No, I, I, at the moment, unfortunately, I'm doing a lot of overtime. Okay. So uh, this is and this. Do you want to give us your potted reviews of the first three? Yeah, um, the first film I thought was good because it was uh, the story was reasonable. I think it was as well. It, it also like introduced the Transformers slowly, um, and it left it built up the action towards the end. So there was the big epic fight, and it climaxed quite well. Um, the ending, right at the end, didn't make much sense to me. Um, but then after that, like the second and third films, pretty much ruined it. Really, I thought the second one was racist and just a bit of a shambles. And then the third one, it was like, especially in the trailer, it was like, right, let's pine back to some of the old school G1 stuff. Uh, but when I was watching it, all I remember was just getting frustrated with Shia LaBeouf and the army guys running around and what they were doing. This is supposed to be a Transformers film. It's about them, but it's clear that they can't afford to put these Transformers on screen for long enough to, for you to care. Mm. So it's like little bits of guys jangling two sets of keys in front of you and then Shia LaBeouf screaming and having a bit of a hissy fit. Um, so I, all in all, I thought the first film was good and the second one was a bit of a mess and the third one was complete shambles. So <laughs> come on, number four. <laughs> Right, so I think that's where we're going to leave the original Transformers. More than meets the eye. They were more than meets the eye. Again, if you've never seen this film and you've just been sort of sitting patiently through this, thank you for sitting patiently through it. See the film. It's worth seeing, at least. Uh, yeah. If you don't own the film, but you remember seeing it, it, you can pick it up for a couple of quid. Just check out it the is, prices yeah. on the DVDs. It is worth it. Uh, you know, it's... You know, like I said, out of the sort of the cartoon series of the eighties that got films, mm. uh, this one is pro- uh, it's probably oh, the best of the lot. This is it, yeah. This is the one where they spent the money on it, and I mean, I, yeah, I, I can still watch it, taking my nostalgic head off for a little bit and just thinking, oh, it's a good fun eighties film that's quite well animated. Mm. With um, a bitch in Exactly, it's, it's got a lot of character about it, you know, um, there's a lot of love gone into it really, considering that it was just a big merchandising ploy. Yeah. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, the best The best example of, there's a lot of creativity gone into it, and I love, from that movie really, I just love the expanded universe of it, and it just, I remember when I was a child, it just filled my imagination with things, and when you got a few of the toys about, it was, it was awesome, mm-hmm. so yeah, all good. <laughs> Neil, any any last words before we go? No, oh, I, I stole this film. Like I said, it's, it's it's a really enjoyable romp for me. I think the funny thing is, from the cynical point of view of the fact it was designed to sell new toys for kids, it actually because of that made the film good because you 
you, there was finally consequences to actions, you know. It wasn't a bloodless war all of a sudden. They were casualties, and you weren't expecting that. And that's kind of cool. And Sharon? Um, I think if I was going to sum up, it would be to say that I enjoyed this far more than I expected to. Um, off the wall, though it is. Um, and, yeah, gave some... A few little shots in the arm of, of a little explored element of my childhood play, so that was pretty cool. Uh, we'll talk uh, uh, in more depth about uh, Peter Cullen and Frank Welker in the uh, upcoming Transformers movies, because uh, when it comes down to it, we had a lot to talk about here. For me, so much of Transformers hangs upon Peter Cullen as Optimus Prime. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm going to be discussing later on because there's almost nothing to excuse especially the second and third films for me but the fact that Peter Cullen's in them kind of gives them a slight iota of redemption so we'll see we will see okay that's all from us um, thank you very much to Neil Taylor of Gameburst you couldn't keep me off this show. It's Transformers. I know. <laughs> but thank you very much. <laughs> and thank you very much to Ryan Astley of Exient. Thank you very much for having me, gents. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And as a bonus, the epilogue for this show will be the piece I did for Action Figure Resource on collecting Transformers toys. The video for this should be viewable on their YouTube channel. And come on over to the main site for all kinds of toy-related goodies. So I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And Neural Handshake, neural handshake complete. complete. Till all are one. Well, we've done our <laughs> week, Minibar. You got the touch. You got the power.
Transformers Generation 1 A case study for action figure resource Action Figures Resource ActionFiguresResource.com Transformers rivals Star Wars in terms of sheer mind-boggling amount of toys produced and media created to sell these toys. To that end, this report will be focusing on the time period between 1984 and 1991, known to fans as Generation 1. It began as a joint venture between Japanese toy company Takara, which is Tomy in English, and American giants Hasbro. The idea which had previously brought Hasbro success with their new G.I. Joe line and what became the standard to which toys became sold from that point on was to create an animated series and spin-off comic full of bright, colourful characters locked in eternal warfare. The kids would then go out and buy the toys of their favourite characters and be forever on the lookout for new bots to add to their collection. Watch the original cartoon closely and note how often the characters refer to one another by name, the repetition ensuring recognition within the Isles of Toys R Us. The first few waves almost universally used moulds from two lines that Takara had already established in their native Japan, Microman from 1974 and Diaclone from 1980. Microman had already been imported to the USA by the Mego Corporation as Micronauts. After Mego folded in 82, Hasbro bought the rights to both lines for distribution in the USA, although in return, Takara retained the rights to distribute in Japan. Jim Shooter wrote the overarching story of the ongoing warfare between the Autobots and Decepticons. Fans will be familiar with how the design of the vehicular form of each character always took precedence over the bot form in the first few waves. It was editor Bob Budiansky's task over one long weekend to humanize these characters, revising profiles initially written by Marvel and DC comic writer Dennis O'Neill. Pudiansky later went on to write the tie-in comic and character profiles included with the toys. Hasbro then commissioned Sunbow to produce the tie-in cartoon series that became the first season. Please, they're to destroy the evil forces. 
In Japan, it was named Fight Super Robot Lifeform Transformers, and the toys were redesigned, simplified, and further humanized to create the chunky, approachable characters that proved to be such a hit on screen. On a personal note, Peter Cullen's performance as Optimus Prime was what swung it for me. Rather than playing it as a bellowing, gung-ho military stereotype like most of his competitors for the role, he based his quiet, grave, and inspiring leader on his own brother Larry, who had served in Vietnam. Always seeking an alternative to combat until given no choice, at which point he is an unparalleled warrior, exemplified in this serious vocal approach as well as deed, made the character instantly iconic, up there with Kevin Conroy's Batman. Megatron has beaten me according to Cybertron law. To violate that law would destroy our honor. We will comply and leave this earth forever. As you command, Octavius. Opposite Cullen was the great Frank Welker as Megatron, as well as Soundwave and various other bots. Megatron being characterized as a gun made perfect sense. His only thoughts are to oppress and to destroy that which defies him. Up against an earnest, hard-working American truck, this made for an effective conflict dynamic. In toy form, Megatron was based on a Wolfer PP-8 with attachable barrel extensions, as well as a stock and a scope. This was clearly inspired by the gun used by Napoleon Solo in the 1965 TV show The Man from Uncle, one that had already received its own toy. The Transformers model came from the Microman toy line and is understandably banned on planes in the USA. You even need a special license to own it in Australia. Since Generation 1, Megatron has been characterized as a tank and a jet rather than go through the difficulties of marketing a realistic-looking firearm. The irony being, if he was an unrealistic-looking space-age ray gun, it's not much of a disguise. But this time I shall not be denied... This device will enable me to strike at the Autobots through Optimus Prime's only weakness. His overdeveloped sense of honor. <laughs> the show started with a three-episode mini-series in which we got introduced to the following Autobots. Hound, Jazz, Mirage, Sunstreaker, and Wheeljack. All were based on Diaclone designs. Prowl, Blue Streak, and later Smokescreen are all based on the same Diaclone car model. Ratchet and Ironhide, likewise, are repaints of the same van, which bore little to no resemblance to their cartoon counterparts, seemingly missing heads. This was because the Diaclone line came with inch-high tiny men to pilot them, and Ironhide was thus more of a mech suit. Trailbreaker was later remolded as Hoist, Sideswipe as Red Alert. There were also a number of mini-bots for kids with slightly lower budgets in the form of Bumblebee, Cliffjumper, Gears, Huffer and Windcharger. These were all based on designs from the Microman toy line. Megatron, my leader, 
We are alive again. Meanwhile, Megatron had his own army, which included three virtually identical Diaclone planes with different color schemes. Starscream, Skywarp, and Thundercracker. Soundwave, the cassette recorder, and his spies Laserbeak, Ravage, and Rumble were all originally from the Microman line, or more specifically, the Microchange line, all of which transformed into household objects. After the initial mini-series, five Dinobots were created, Slag, Sludge and Grimlock, and later Snarl and Swoop. Soundwave got another cassette named Frenzy, the Insecticons, Shrapnel, Bombshell and Kickback, and the Constructicons, Scrapper, Hook, Mixmaster, Longhaul, Bonecrusher and Scavenger, joined the ranks of despicable robot evil. All of the above based on Diaclone toys, and the latter group able to combine a la Voltron to form Devastator. Hasbro were at this point developing their own new Transformers, but the lead times on creating new toys are far longer than remarketing old ones. As a result, there was a lot of frantic scrabbling for new prospective bots that existed outside the already exhausted Diaclone and Microman lines. There was Shockwave, who stayed behind to guard Cybertron for the four million years that the two factions are away. During this time, nothing seems to happen, which always struck me as odd. This was one of the first figures not to be derived from Diaclone or Microman. Instead, the Astro Magnum model, imbued with an unfortunately placed groinal trigger, was bought by Hasbro from a company named Toyco. Two more models were utilized from a company called Toy Box. Skylynx and Omega Supreme. Reflector was a camera that divided into three bots and only available from Hasbro via mail order. An enormous plane named Jetfire was rendered in toy form based on the designs of the Valkyrie in the Macross series. However, this was made by a company named Takatoku who were brought out by Bandai, Takara's chief rivals in the toy market. This meant that while Hasbro could market it within America and Europe, Takara could not do the same in Japan, as Bandai were relaunching the Macross line. The design was altered for the TV show and renamed Skyfire, and US production ceased soon after to prevent further copyright dispute. More short-lived models mined from Takatoku included Roadbuster, Whirl, and the Deluxe Insecticons. Season 2 of the cartoon began in 1985 and, with its additional 49 episodes, brought it up to syndication numbers. 
the ongoing storyline was put aside in favour of self-contained character-based episodes. A whole swathe of new bots were brought in, with no fanfare or explanation. They were just there. The last Diaclone cards appeared as Trax, Skids, and the basically identical Inferno and Grapple. Perceptor, the Microscope, and Blaster, the Boombox, came from the same micro-change transforming household objects line that Soundwave did, along with Blaster's cassettes, Steeljaw, Ramhorn, Eject, and Rewind. More mini-autobots included Beachcomber, Cosmos, Powerglide, Sea Spray, and Warpath. Decepticons received the first triple changes, which again were, as you might guess, originally Diaclone, in the form of Blitzwing and Astrotrain. A final Diaclone line, cancelled in favour of simply making them Transformers, consisted of the combining sets of Stunticons, Combaticons, Aerial Bots, and Protector Bots. The Starscream model was used a further three times for Dirge, Ramjet, and Thrust. The Transformers will return after these messages. ActionFiguresResource.com We now return to the Transformers. big change came in 1986 with the release of the movie. Set in the far-off futuristic year of 2005, it dealt with a new generation of bots. Basically, this was a way for Hasbro to jettison the Diaclone models and refocus the toy line on original designs. This film is thus a bloodbath, seeing Prowl, Ironhide, Ratchet, Brawn, Wheeljack, Windcharger, Huffer, Skywarp, Thundercracker, Shrapnel, Kickback, Bombshell, Starscream, and even Megatron obliterated before our eyes. The most significant, memorable, and for many traumatic death being that of Optimus Prime himself. Prime, you can't die! Do not grieve. Soon I shall be one with the Matrix. But soon, a new Autobot leader will arrive, introducing Rodimus Prime. No one can take on the Decepticons like Rodimus Prime. Transformers! The Transformers eat sold separately from Hasbro. In their place, Ultra Magnus utilized the Diaclone-powered convoy model, the cab of which originally embodied Optimus Prime. Other brand new designs, all modeled on the kind of futuristic cars we'll be driving in 2005, include Hot Rod and his leader upgrade Rodimus Prime, Cup, Blur, Springer the Triple Changer, and Minibot Wheelie. The movie also featured the first ever female Autobot in the form of RC. But she never got a toy because, as we all know, according to marketers, boys don't want to buy action figures of girls. And girls don't want to buy boys' action figures. Which raises the question, why was R.C. even there? Back on 
Cybertron, the Autobots have created three new warriors. Cup, experienced in battle. Blur, he's fast. Hot Rod, he really lives up to his name. The Decepticons' days are numbered. Robots in disguise from Hasbro. Megatron, Skywarp and Thundercracker were Decepticons reforged by Unicron in the film to form Galvatron, Cyclonus and Scourge. At this point, what seemed like a really good idea for disengaging the line with its Japanese roots, mostly based on realistically rendered cars and planes, and proceeding forth with neon-coloured space cars was the beginning of the end for many fans. Season 3 of the cartoon was less popular and it seemed like people missed the old characters. To this end, Optimus Prime was resurrected for the season finale. This third season of the cartoon featured all the new toys Hasbro had created. Broadside, Sandstorm, Computron, Metroplex, The Throttlebots, Predaking, Runamuck, Runabout, Octane, The Terracons, Trypticon, Slugfest, and Overkill. Aptly named. After these came the Target Masters and the Headmasters, which were the subject of a short-lived miniseries that constituted Season 4 in the West. Japan made its own entirely different episodes. Headmaster Autobot displays a readout of its power. Nothing's better than going to battle with Headmaster Transformers, sold separately from Hanbro. In 1988, a fifth season was aired, consisting of re-released early episodes and the movie cut into five portions. This was to promote Power Master Optimus Prime, Hasbro's original take on the Diaclone classic Convoy. In a bizarre move to create links between the shows and sell the new toy, a giant early CG Optimus Prime told the story of the Transformers to a chirpy little boy with a mullet named Tommy Kennedy. I'm working on a special project for school. What's it about? Brian, just tell me how you and the other Autobots got to Earth. Okay, Tommy. I've handled enough emergencies to know that some things just can't wait. The Transformers first lived on the planet Cybertron. Brian, tell me something I don't know. Well, did you know that centuries of war had drained our planet of its precious energy resources? Whoa, looks like old Cybertron was ready for the scrap heap. Yes, it was. And the Autobots and Decepticons were on the verge of extinction. This represented the close of Generation 1. The decline in interest was most likely linked to the number of similar toy and cartoon combos that emerged in the 80s, competing for the children's attention. Thundercats in 1985, Ghostbusters in 1986, and The Big Kahuna in 1987, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Which you can see more about in our dedicated video. Once Turtle Power hit, the bots just couldn't cut it. Toys continued to be produced and sold in decent numbers, but it would not be until 2007's live-action movie that they enjoyed the same intense success as they had in the mid-80s. In the interim 19 years, there was Generation 2 in 1993, which was just re-edited episodes of the first series with chunky CG and sound effects added. 
accompanying recolored garish re-releases of the initial line. Beast Wars in 1996, Beast Machines in 1999, and in 2001 a deluge of bots in the form of Robots in Disguise, Armada, Energon, and Cybertron. However, most fans over 25 years old, even those who can appreciate some of the above, seem to agree that the core roots and characters of Generation 1 are what define the almighty franchise. Having said that, the Michael Bay movies have proved massively influential on the toys, video games, and new TV shows. So what we're likely to see recurring most in the future is a blending of these two eras. You got the touch. You got the power. Resource Action Figures Resource.com